Instead of syncing your phone with iTunes, downloading an MP3 into your mobile device, you can stream episodes of MTR with the Stitcher Smart Radio app. Stitcher allows you to listen to My Take Radio via your 4G, 3G, or Wi-Fi connections. Downloading it is quick and easy. Head over to stitcher.com forward slash my take and you'll even be eligible to win some money. Enter my take all one word in the promo box and you'll be eligible to win $100 courtesy of my take radio and Stitcher. MTR Live starts right now. This coverage is live and uncensored, so if you have any small children present, you may want to have them leave the room. What's up, guys? My Take Radio, episode 185 for Thursday, May 23rd, 2013. I'm your host, Rich, and our call-in number is 347-324-3541. Again, our call-in number is 347-324-3541. You can also hit up our feedback line. That's 347-815-0687. That's 347-815-0MTR. Our live listeners, of course, can listen to the show right now via Blog Talk Radio, blogtalkradio.com forward slash mytakeradio. You can also listen via Mixler, mixler.com forward slash mytakeradio. But the best way to get the full MTR experience is by heading over to mytakeradio.com, clicking on the Listen tab, and you'll get both Mixler and Blog Talk Radio players right on the site, plus the new chat room that we are testing out. Last week's chat room that we tested was not the best one to use so we actually put a new chat room in there right on the site you can listen to the show either way and honestly i think it works a lot better slick and slick and i have tested it and it seems to be running smoothly so you can go that way instead of using the btr chat or the mixler chat because it's it's just dividing the audience way too much and we're trying to keep everything unified plus it allows for people to link to articles right on the site and be able to check them out directly from the site instead of having to jump through all these different hoops. And we're just trying to centralize everything. That's the main goal in the coming weeks. Part of it is because, like I've said, I want to try and move away from Blog Talk Radio. And another is just because people should be on the site checking out our content and not hanging out and giving BTR all the traffic. Simple as that. I'd rather be honest with you guys than then bullshit you and say it's some other crazy thing, but that's really what it is. Anyway, we got a lot to discuss this week. Of course, this is our 185th episode. We are 15 episodes away from MTR 200. It's a big personal milestone for me um, to reach 200 episodes. I know a lot of guys, they come into this, this podcasting game and they get burned out quickly and they get five or 10 episodes under their belt 
and they just give up. But, you know, it's a big accomplishment to be able to say, hey, we're approaching 200 episodes. And, of course, it's not a solo effort. It's not just me. But, of course, the rest of the team at MTR, Slick, Andrea, uh, Team Buried, Quark and Blade, Jay Santee, Ben, um, the rest of the MTR fam, you know, they, they, they pull their weight. They do what they got to do to help make this ship run as best as it can. So, you know, I, I kind of owe it to those guys as well. One thing I do want to say is that with this whole trying to be more centralized and moving away from blog talk radio, we're going to keep trying to test out a lot of stuff over the coming weeks. Like I said, we're trying to do a, a nice new central local chat on the site just to move away from things. It works a lot better, but that's not it. The, of course, the big one being video, which, um, I actually tested out some Google Hangout stuff yesterday, and I'm debating doing the show either via video through Google Hangout or possibly doing it through, um, what the hell is it called, Ustream. So we'll see how that goes. Um, I see that the website chat is moving along. I see Slick in there. I see Quark himself in there. So nice to see you guys testing it out. And like I said, this is just um, a beta, and if it works well, we'll continue using it. Anyway... So let's get into some some real world stuff because I wanted to share a couple of things with you guys this week. Uh, This week was rather interesting. Obviously, we got Memorial Day weekend this weekend and, um, you know, a lot of things kind of fell by the wayside. I was actually supposed to go and check out a new facility for my sister this week. And um, needless to say, it did not go according to plan. Uh, They received all the paperwork and a couple of things just weren't up to the specifications that the place had in mind. So pretty much I took off three days of work for absolutely nothing, which kind of sucked on the, on the bright side, we got a lot of stuff done on the side, a lot of trailers and a lot of stuff went up slick, put up a new post for GTA. So, you know, it wasn't totally, um, you know, it wasn't totally unproductive. Let's just say that. But, um, in between all that, you know, I had some stuff going on at home. My, uh, my grandmother, old people, they are they are a gift and a curse sometimes. She um she actually went to get some medical tests done. She you know, there's some health issues going on with her which kind of have me a little stressed out, but uh hopefully all is well and um she'll live to be 150 and drive me crazy for the rest of my days, but figured that I'd share that with you guys cuz it's kind of been a factor in terms of work and things going on off air. But other than that, everything else has been pretty quiet. I tried to go see Star Trek, um, made the fatal mistake of not waking up early, and got to the theater, and it was sold out. So I will try and see Star Trek this weekend and post a review on it. But you don't have to wait for my review because Slick has his review on the site. You can check it out there. Um, I will be going to see Fast 6 tomorrow morning, so you should have a review for Fast 6 by tomorrow evening, hopefully. So because I'm off, it'll allow me to work on it after the movie is over. A couple of other things on the site, um, Quark's buried spotlight on Curtis Axel is, uh, is a ridiculous read. I got a lot of great laughs from it just because Curtis Axel debuted this past Monday on Raw and no expense was spared in his burial. And we'll be talking about his debut in the wrestling segment later this evening. Of course, the big, big discussion is going to be Xbox One, which... I got to put 
a lot of people, not a lot of people, but just a lot of entities on Blast, not not only sites like Kotaku and Gizmodo, but smaller sites as well, just because it's it's been a, a crazy few days with the Microsoft announcement, and I'm sure Slick is going to call in and people are going to share their thoughts on that. And you're more than welcome to do so. Like I said, the call a number 347-324-3541 if you want to join in on any of the conversation this evening, um, especially with this Xbox One talk because people are extremely divided. Some people are super excited, in my opinion, a little too excited for what pretty much amounts to a giant VCR that does a whole bunch of other stuff. So just saying, that's that's one of those things where it's it's going to be a, a pretty spirited debate and there's a lot of things that I actually want to bring to the audience and share with them because I I've spoken to I spoke to Slick earlier and yesterday I spoke to Quark and Blade about it and they shared their thoughts on it Quark in particular was very very adamant about you know just the system being complete bullshit and I respect that and to to a degree he's definitely right I think you know PlayStation 4 has a strong case but there's a lot more going on that I want to share with you guys, so that's going to be happening in the gaming segment. Uh, this week, of course, we have the big UFC heavyweight title fight between Bigfoot Silva and Cain Velasquez. We'll talk about that in the MMA segment. We got some what-the-fuck movie news. We got a ton of gaming news and, of course, wrestling. So let's take it away and get the ball rolling with the MMA first. Just a quick reminder that My Take Radio's MMA segment is brought to you by MMA Warehouse. Make sure to hit up MMAWarehouse.com to pick up the latest MMA gear and all your favorite fighter walkout shirts. You can also click the MMA Warehouse banner on MyTakeRadio.com. It helps us out as well, so make sure to check them out if you want to pick up any shirts. One shirt in particular I actually ordered was the Chael Sonnen tap-out shirt. I will be 100% honest when I tell you guys that Usually, I don't buy any tap-out gear because it's become so mainstream and so douche-tacular that I usually refuse to do it, but Chael Sonnen's shirt was pretty plain. It wasn't garish. There were no skulls or any of that crazy shit. It was just a nice, simple shirt that said, every day I fight. Simple as that. And um, it pretty much it's pretty much apropos when it, come, when it comes to me, so... I figured I would pick that up, but there's other shirts you can check out at MMAWarehouse.com. Anyway, let's get into the UFC on FX8 card, which was surprisingly enjoyable. Um, Of course, free MMA is always good. The main event, uh, the Phenom, Vitor Belfort taking on Luke Rockhold. I want to just, as usual, pull out a couple of fights that I thought were extremely, extremely enjoyable. Um, John Cholish, Gleason Tebow was a very good fight. I actually was rooting for John Cholis. I thought he was going to take that fight, but unfortunately, Gleason Tebow secured a guillotine choke in the second round. I mean, Tebow looked really good in the first round. Um, He's scoring some takedowns. Cholish, he he tried to engage. It wasn't like Cholish was slacking, but Tebow just, um, he had had better ground game, and he was able to secure himself the very, very tight guillotine, and he choked him out in the second round. So, Definitely a great performance by Gleason Tebow. Um, I'm bummed for John Cholish. Um, 
Based on that loss, he said he was going to retire, and all signs point to that. I mean, I saw a very interesting article regarding um, some UFC uh, discrepancies of pay. So John Cholish will probably be in the news for the next couple of weeks. On the FX card overall, um, Sapo Natal, he took on Zhao Zeferino, and um, Natal took the fight via unanimous decision. I expected the fight to be a lot shorter than it was, but it was still very, very enjoyable. The um, Rafael Dos Anjos and Evan Dunham fight also went to decision. It was just a night of decisions, but it ended that ended abruptly when Jacare secured a beautiful arm triangle choke on Chris Camozzi. I don't even think Camozzi got to even tag Jacare. It was it was crazy. Um, Camozzi came out looking to really separate Jacare from his consciousness, but Jacare was having none of that, used his amazing jiu-jitsu skills, and it, the arm triangle setup was ridiculous because it was a transition from back to side control to neon belly, and then arm triangle, it came out of nowhere. It was um, at 3 minutes and 37 seconds of the first round, just a, a great performance by Jacare, definitely putting that middleweight division on notice. I was thoroughly impressed. I mean, these guys are coming over from Strike Force, really making a name for themselves in the UFC. And Jacare was one of those guys that I always felt that if he made the transition to the UFC, he would be incredibly successful. And so far, he's he's proven me right. Now, for the main event, Luke Rockhold, Vitor Belfort, of course, uh, Vitor's been scrutinized for his TRT use to the point where he pretty much put a moratorium on media asking him about it, et cetera, et cetera. Luke Rockhold definitely was a guy that I thought would have came in there and really took it to Vitor just because Luke Rockhold has a very um, aggressive style. He likes to use his kicks, extremely athletic. And the funny thing was that the fight started off, guys were definitely respecting each other's hands very well. And then uh, Vitor came in with a bit of a flurry, backed off, and then Rockhold trying to score some kicks. Um... But then out of nowhere, and I kid you guys not, out of nowhere, spinning heel kick of doom by Vitor Belfort to the face just demolished Luke Rockhold, and it was lights out. Pretty much um, a highlight reel finish for Vitor Belfort, uh, training with the Black Zillions camp. Got it at 2 minutes and 37, uh, 2 minutes and 32 seconds, excuse me. And um, again, the guy makes a great case for himself, wants a, wants a title opportunity, but the problem with Vitor Belfort right now is, you know, everybody's talking about the TRT and he fought at light heavyweight against John Jones, lost that fight, fought Anderson Silva at middleweight, ate the famous front kick of doom that killed him dead in the first round. So Vitor definitely is in a very weird place. I mean, he beat the former 185 pound strike force champion with a highlight reel finish. I mean, what you, I mean, you could do Vitor and Jacare as your next fight with the winner getting Anderson Silva, which would be a tremendous fight either way. And I will be honest when I say that I think out of Vitor and Jacare, Jacare probably has the better chance of taking the belt from Anderson Silva just because the, the guy's style is, is a perfect match for Silva, especially on the stand-up and the jiu-jitsu game itself. It's one of those things Anderson Silva hasn't really been tested on that jiu-jitsu game, so I would love to see it. I mean, um, you know, it kills me because the, you know, with this fight, Vitor, he, he's an older guy. He likes to 
kind of market himself as the old lion. He made a, a, a huge impression on the fans. I mean, Brazil just went ape shit when he um when he when he secured that knockout on Luke Rockhold. Honestly, me personally, I'd like to see a Vitor Chael Sonnen fight. That would be tremendous, whether at 205 or 185 or a fight with Jacare. So the future is definitely bright for the Phenom in the UFC, and I'll take any one of those fights. Hell, even um, Vitor and Vanderlei would be a great fight, but Vanderlei, his his future rests with Chael Sonnen, and I hope to God that that fight happens sooner rather than later. Anyway, let's get into the rest of the MMA news for this week because there are quite a few. Uh, some $50,000 bonuses were handed out. Of course, knockout of the night went to Vitor, Submission of the night went to Jacare, and fight of the night went to Jeremy Larson and Lucas Martins. Um, speaking of the the Brazilian fights, uh, UFC confirmed that Showtime Anthony Pettis will be meeting Jose Aldo at UFC 163, and that is taking place in Rio de Janeiro on August 3rd. Also, there's a rumored fight between Damian Maya and Josh Koscheck as well. If you guys saw the Xbox One event, you guys know that EA made it a point to show Anthony Pettis' beautiful Showtime kick on Benson Henderson. So definitely a great week for Anthony Pettis. And um, I'm looking forward to the fight with Jose Aldo. I think he's going to be a guy that's going to take it to Jose Aldo. I'm not 100% sure he could beat him. Jose Aldo's in a league of his own. But I will say this. If Aldo secures a victory over Showtime, I think Aldo could make a jump to 155. And maybe we can get a super fight between him and Ben Henderson with him possibly staying at 155 I'd I'd love to see it I think at one at 145 right now not to say that there aren't any challenges but I just feel that they aren't on the level that they should be um what is Quark writing I love that ah very interesting comment Quark um I love that you brought that brought that up about the UFC and I'll discuss that in the gaming segment um last week we were talking about Roy Nelson being on standby for his fight with um, with a possible fight with Junior Dos Santos if Mark Hunt, Hunt did not get his work visa situated. But turns out that he did. Hunt and Dos Santos will be going down this Saturday. I am really pulling for the Super Samoan. The guy is a problem. And if you don't want to take my word for it, look up Mark Hunt versus Stefan Struve. Um, if Slick would be so kind to post it in the chat, that is a tremendous fight. To the point where Mark Hunt devastated Stefan Struve and broke his jaw in two places. So Mark Hunt, Stefan Struve, look that shit up on Twitter. I mean on Twitter, on YouTube, and you guys will see what I'm talking about because it is crazy. Anyway, the rest of that card for this weekend, Donald Cerrone, KJ Noons on the pay-per-view, TJ Grant, Gray Maynard, James Tahuna, Glover Teixeira, JDS, of course, and Mark Hunt, and the big one. The heavyweights, Cain Velasquez and Antonio Bigfoot Silva, goes down on pay-per-view at 10 p.m. on Saturday. You got the prelims on FX, Mike Pyle and Rick Story. Dennis the Menace Bermudez taking on Max Holloway. Colton Smith taking on Robert Whitaker. And uh, Khabib Nurmagomedov. I always, wow, I actually got that guy's name right. Uh, taking on Abel Trujillo, and that's going to happen on the prelims on FX. And if you want to see the Facebook prelims, you got Nashawn Burrell taking on Stephen Thompson. Brian Bowles is taking on George Roop. And Estevan Payan is taking on Jeremy Little Heathen Stevens. And that's going to start at 635 Eastern on Facebook. So the big news this week in other title fight news is that Henan Burrell is actually injured and out of his UFC 161 fight. 
So the main event now will be Rashad Evans taking on Dan Henderson. That is the UFC main event for UFC 161. As of right now, the fight is scheduled for three rounds and it's not going to be a usual five round main event. So we'll see what happens there. It's it's a very, very bad situation for the bantamweight division because their regular champion, Dominic Cruz, is injured. And now their interim champion, Henan Burrell, is also injured. Seems that Henan Burrell tore some ligaments in his foot and he will not be cleared to defend his belt June 15th. So there you have it. Very, very interesting. Also on that card, Roy Nelson is going to be taking on Stipe Miocic at UFC 161 as well. Dana White confirmed that fight, and that fight was added to the main card since the Barrow-Eddie Wineland fight was scratched. Um, Huh. Thanks for bringing that to my attention, Slick. I guess the... um, Posting links is not working in chat wing. You know what that might be? That might be because of a setting on my end. I may need to look into that. I apologize for those of you that were looking for a link there for the Mark Hunt fight, but I will look into that probably during a commercial break later on in the show. I'm actually very happy with this particular bit of MMA news as Josh Barnett signed a new fight deal with the UFC. I'm super pumped. Josh Barnett fought in Strikeforce. I am a huge fan of the Warmaster. He fought, um, I watched him fight in Japan in an amazing uh, Puro wrestling match. Um, John Blade was here. He actually saw that match when he was here, I believe it was last last Christmas. And um, Josh Barnett is a wonderful addition to the UFC heavyweight division. The guy can talk the talk. His catch wrestling is insane. And honestly, I think that it's going to be um, a great career for Josh Barnett. Hopefully he finishes it out in the UFC. I'm, I'm a big mark of his, whether it's wrestling or MMA. So I'm glad that things are settled and Josh Barnett is officially in the UFC and will be making his Octagon debut later this year. One guy who hasn't been in the news and it's because it appears that he is no longer going to be actively fighting is Matt Serra. I am a big fan of Matt Serra, not just because he's a fellow New Yorker, but just because he's a really cool fucking dude. Uh, The crazy thing is that he actually had to get a rib removed recently because of blood clots he's been experiencing in his arms and legs. It's ridiculous. They took out a rib. I believe it was roughly two weeks ago. So as of right now, his MMA career is pretty much over. The only thing he said is that he will not use the, the big R word retiring because he would like to have one fight in the UFC. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's crazy because the injury that not really the injury, but the ailment that he had with the blood clots, he had them in his arms, which were causing him to lose feelings, uh, feeling in his arm. And he also had blood clots in his lungs, which if you guys are familiar with blood clots, I mean, they killed, uh, Chris Candido, uh, from ECW. Uh, He had, he ended up getting a blood clot in his leg. So it was definitely a very dangerous situation situation for Matt Sarah. And I'm, you know, I'm glad he got it taken care of, but I'm bummed because I may never see him fight again. And, you know, he's a New York guy. He was great on the ultimate fighter, the comeback season, and he's just been a tremendous addition to the UFC. Not only that, but he is the guy that has the biggest shocker of all time, which is him knocking out George St. Pierre for the belt at 170 right after the UFC comeback season. You guys can definitely look that up as well because that was fucking historic. I think I, I, I jumped out of my seat and I'm a fan of GSP, but you know, I was rooting for, for a New Yorker for one of my own and Matt Sarah did his thing. So 
like I said, I'm bummed to see that he may not actively be competing anymore, but he's got, you know, two kids, one on the way, so I'm glad he's getting his health issues taken care of. Another guy who's kind of been out of the spotlight recently is Alistair Overeem, of course, after being destroyed by Bigfoot Silva. The Reem was pretty much real quiet for the time being. It all, he was also nursing some injuries, but it looks like he will be meeting Travis Brown at UFC on Fox Sports 1.1. I can't believe they're even calling it that. That's going to be um, part of the main card, but it is not the main event. That, that fight's going to be taking place August 17th at the TD Garden Arena in Boston. Also on that card, Thiago Alves and Matt Brown, Michael Johnson and Joe Lazan. Conor McGregor is rumored to be on that card as well. I think that's going to be a great card for Boston. And um, I'm bummed with, with Overeem. Just I'm not saying he deserves the main event slot, but after the fight he had with Bigfoot and the way he just got tagged out there, I think the fight with Travis Brown is a good fight for him. It's a solid fight. And not for nothing, I wouldn't mind seeing Alistair Overeem and Josh Barnett maybe as, as a secondary fight. I mean, Barnett, the only fight that he lost was the one to Daniel Cormier in the Strike Force Heavyweight Grand Prix. So not for nothing, Barnett and Overeem would be a tremendous fight. Hell, that would be a co-main event on any card because it's it's just so sick. But um, it's it's a great week for MMA. It, the, only, the only blemish I've seen this week was what's going on with the fighters of Invicta and some crooked management bullying some of the fighters, trying to force those fighters to sign with this particular individual. And I wanted to get into that story a little bit, but I wasn't able to get all the information I wanted to, so I may touch on that next week. But I will say this, the the Invicta promotion, the ladies over there are putting on excellent fights, and I'm really hoping they get a TV deal soon, whether it's on Showtime or on one of the you know regular cable channels, whether it's Spike TV or et cetera. I mean, I'm sure the UFC, the UFC definitely supports them. So you never know; you might see Invicta cards on UFC on Fox Sports One. So we'll see what happens in the coming months with regards to that. Anyway, that's going to wrap up the MMA segment for this week. Let's get right into some wrestling because there is quite a bit to discuss. We want the gold, sucker! Hulk Hogan, we coming for you, nigga! Wrestling was definitely really, really crazy. We had, um, you know, Extreme Rules, which I will say was probably a lot better than I had expected. I will admit I was uh, proven wrong with a lot of the matches, not because of the outcome, but just because of the way that things went. I think um, the worst part of it was that, wow, I can't believe there was a pop-up window there. Fucking ads. Sucks. Anyway, Extreme Rules, Extreme no pun intended, extremely enjoyable. <laughs> Way to go, Quark. Thanks. Um, the fact was that previous extremes, Extreme Rule cards have been good, but they've never really held up on par with when ECW, when well, when ECW Lite was around and they were doing a lot of that stuff. For me personally, I felt that 
over time, there were always some bright spots, but the cards were, were subpar. And I think that this particular one surprised me quite a bit, not because the matches themselves were great, but just because certain outcomes were for the better of the business. And when I say that is like when, let's take a look at this opening match. Chris Jericho, of course, took on Fandango. And um, I had to let the A's breathe. Um, <laughs> the fact is the match was was very good. I felt that Chris Jericho's definitely developed a great chemistry with Fandango. I think that the guy is really stepping his game up. The only thing that guy needs to learn how to do is how to tan appropriately because he comes out looking extremely pumpkin-colored. It's ridiculous. And I've seen a lot of guys on, on a couple of wrestling forums talking about Summer Rae and how extremely beautiful that she is. And look, she's cute, but... She kind of looks like she looks like that stork that chased around Foghorn Leghorn. I think it's because of her nose. I think the the stork was prissy, if I remember correctly. And I'm sure Slick will appreciate that reference. She's she's an attractive girl, but come on, don't don't get stupid now. I mean, she's she's cute, but oh my gosh, she's so hot, hottest chick on the roster. Stop it, stop lying to yourselves. She has a pelican nose. And Fandango, I have to admire the fact that he just doesn't even try to dance anymore. He comes out, he does a little Rick Rude gyration, which I'm going to get into a little further when we discuss Raw. But um, yes, thank you. Slick with the yes. <laughs> Acknowledging the prissy reference. Thank you, Slick. Um, <laughs> and Val as well in the chat room. Start handing out water bottles. Dudes are thirsty. Yes, that is exactly it. Um, but the match itself, extremely enjoyable for an opening match. Chris Jericho got the win, which is fine. I mean, Fandango's been kind of been getting the better part of these feuds, and you got to keep Jericho decently strong, especially if he's going to be working on the shows for the foreseeable future. Kofi Kingston and Dean Ambrose, though, was tremendous. Of course, the athleticism of Kofi Kingston against the quote-unquote chaotic style of Dean Ambrose. Dean Ambrose's style is... Such a such a treat to watch because it's a throwback. He does a lot of the real old school offense, the eye rake, um, some of the some of the moves that he just pulls out. You know, some of the more aggressive things. He he broke out a cross face chicken wing, a la Bob Backlund, which was nice to see. Um, of course, Ambrose gets the win using the bulldog driver. He hasn't named it yet, but still, it was. It was a tremendous match and not for nothing. I don't feel bad Kofi Kingston lost the U.S. title because Kofi Kingston is one of those guys that I always say doesn't need a belt to be over with the fans. Kids love him. They like cheering him when he comes out. He's extremely athletic. And I think Kofi Kingston is going to be one of those guys that when you finally do turn him heel, he's just going to be terrible at it because he just doesn't look like a bad guy. Like it would be impossible to turn him to turn him heel without doing something extreme, like cutting off his braids, um, something to that, to that extent, like something crazy to turn him heel because right now he's happy go lucky. He always comes out acknowledging his inner geek. Uh, I think it was, I'd, I'd like to say it was raw about three weeks ago. He was wearing his ring gear and it was uh, Skeletor colored and the Kofi Kingston logo had the little skulls on it. The guy, he knows, he knows what the deal is. And, um, I like what Quark said. Quark said in the chat, Kofi Kingston is the ultimate guy to use to put someone over without making him look weak. I agree. Kofi Kingston, it's like the guy is, he has Jiminy Cricket with him at all times because even when he loses, he comes out looking great. You know, he's, he, he always looks impressive in all his outings. The guy is out there. He's, the crowd loves him. And I, and I legit feel that he's a guy 
that you can turn and, and don't quote me on it. If you want to create the quote unquote African American John Cena, that's not um, Derek Young. That's not Darren Young. It, it it's Kofi Kingston. Kofi Kingston is a guy that you can build up as the face of your organization. He's well spoken, extremely athletic, not injury prone. Because let's think about it. Kofi Kingston's been wrestling consistently for years now. Never had the injury bug bite him. The guy is well conditioned, knows how to how to time his spots really well, and he works well with everybody. I think that if anything, and what Val was saying in the chat is that he's going to be moving up into the 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 heavyweight card. I I think he he would make a decent champion, but the problem with moving him up to that card is that you have to put him in a feud with a super heel. And what I'm saying is a Kofi Kingston Dolph Ziggler feud would work. Not not with Kofi Kingston getting over and getting the belt, but it would be a great test feud to set him up. I mean, I thought they were going to pull the trigger when they had him feuding with Randy Orton at the time when Orton was playing the heel. Kofi Kingston looked great in that feud. He showed uh, shades of a more aggressive personality, and it just rocked from start to finish. I was bummed when they kind of decelerated that push, and he's pretty much been stuck in the mid-card or tag-teaming with R-Truth or... You know, just being fodder for the shield. But if you're bumping him up to the to the heavyweight title or you know the WWE championship, either way, I think. Um, oh my God, Quark says I feel a Kofi feud with Ziggler would be as bad as John Cena versus R Truth at Capital Punishment. I can understand why you feel that way, but you got to look at it like this: in terms of pure wrestling and athleticism and great spots, you can have. Kofi and Ziggler and you can do a ladder match you can have a couple of crazy stipulations in there and I think Ziggler would make Kofi look good I think from an athletic standpoint you can get a really really good match that's gonna have great catch wrestling and also great athletic spots you're gonna have you know great top rope moves crazy things like that and like I said I think that feud would make Ziggler a better competitor because Ziggler's been kind of having to carry some of these guys. I mean, the only athletic guy right now that he's kind of in the mix with is Del Rio just, and Del Rio doesn't even use the Lucha Libre style. I mean, you can cite Swagger, but Swagger style is more, it's more ground based. So it it doesn't make Ziggler look good. Like there are certain guys, when you watch them wrestle, certain guys bring the best out of them. And a great example of that is Daniel Bryan on Monday night with Seth Rollins. And um, we're going to talk about that as well. The strap match with Mark Henry and Sheamus was a great match. I felt the wrong guy got the got you know got put over in that match because Sheamus doesn't need victories to get over with the fans. Mark Henry, if you're booking him as this monster, monster heel, he needed the victory. Mark Henry's a guy that, and you know, I was talking about this with Quark and John Blade not too long ago, Mark Henry's a more believable big man heel than the Big Show is. Because the Big Show, he's just kind of going through the motions, but Mark Henry, they finally figured him out. They figured out a winning formula to make him a badass dude. And to go out there and do the job for Sheamus, it was, you know, it, doing the, Sheamus doesn't need it. He doesn't. I, it's true, Mortis. Mark Henry's better than the Big Show. It's it's uh, I, not to say that the Big Show is shit, but you can tell that the Big Show is phoning it in. John Blade and and Quark told me that they had a, they went to a house show 
Uh, they live in Reading in PA, and the Big Show got cheered. How the fuck is that? The Big Show gets cheered. He gets cheered, and he was a heel, and he got cheered in, in Reading, which is weird in itself, but he's he's a guy that they just have him on TV, and the problem is that he's a serviceable big man, but here's here's how I got to group it. On the WWE roster, in terms of guys that are billed as monsters, you got Kane, you got The Undertaker when he wants to wrestle, you got The Great Khali, you got The Big Show, and you got Mark Henry, and your Ezekiel Jackson, I don't even know if he's got fired yet, and um, last but not least, of course, you got um, Big E, who's kind of moving up there. Kane, Kane is always going to be a, a, stable, a staple big guy, so you're not going to get good matches or bad matches out of Kane's. You're going to get regular matches. You know what, Quark? I don't count Ryback in that because I'm talking about big, massive guys that are booked as monsters. Like Ryback, he's booked that way only because he's in the main event. But I'm talking about like Biggie Langston, they're trying to make him the new Mark Henry because, you know, you look at, you look at these bigger guys, these monster heels that they're using and even monster faces. And when you look at the overall athleticism, the Big Show actually ranks. I'd rank him a step above the great Kali because the Big Show goes out there and he goes through the motions. He does his whistle, you know, his his shush chop. He does the knockout punch. He doesn't even do that finisher he used to do, which was like the final call, which he used to use like the leg, the leg, leg drop. I mean, the leg, leg drop. It almost looked like a leg lariat that he used to do, but... Seriously, like in terms of the big guys, I think the best big guys right now are Mark Henry. He's definitely in my number one. I would probably rank Kane in in the number two spot because Kane is he still does top rope moves. He's still serviceable. And then I would go down that list. I'd probably put Biggie Langston in the middle, and then Big Show, and then the Great Kali. But what I'm hearing is that they plan on doing a match at SummerSlam with Big E Langston and Mark Henry in a battle of, of the strongmen. I don't know if that's going to happen, but I think it would be a match that, that would definitely do well, and especially if you let Mark Henry kind of set the pace for that match, because Big E Langston, for as big as he is, definitely a more agile big guy. Definitely more agile. <laughs> Battle of the Blackness. Yes, Quark, that is true. You know, Vince loves to do the uh, the 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 black on black crime. Races Vince. Damn it! You're gonna go out there and you're gonna beat the black off of each other. That's what you're gonna do. You go out there and you do it. Damn it! You do it. <laughs> Seriously, that's that's what happens. Vince Vince loves making the the, the racial fights. But in terms of big guys, Mark Henry should be the guy that carries the banner as your monster heel and i would build big e down the road as your monster face i mean the guy was a face in nxt and people loved him people were digging big e langston in nxt and i think he's another guy that you can see he's a he's a big dude he's incredibly agile the only weakness that he has is that his mic work is shit mortis in the chat was talking about mason ryan i thought mason ryan got fired <laughs> That is true. Biggie is loved as a heel quark. Nothing was funnier than him punching AJ in the boob, and she took it like a champion. She also said that she had a bra with a lot of padding, so had she not been wearing that, she probably would have been hurt. So, 
Oh, man. Really? Mason Ryan is kicking ass at NXT? I've been out of the loop with NXT for the last couple of weeks. Um, you know you know what's funny? Slick mentions uh, fake boobs. AJ just wears uh, like like two push-up bras or bras with a lot of padding. She got no fake boobage. So, and the reason I say that is look at the, the quote unquote WWE diva spotlight that they like to do where they, which is their version of the sports illustrated swimsuit issue. (laughs) That's pretty much what it is. It's just like, hi, look at this. And she did a photo shoot with Caitlin and she just looks totally different. She looks like a regular chick you'd bump into in the street. Just saying. Anyway, back to this, uh, to this, uh, pay-per-view recap. Del Rio took on Jack Swagger, of course, in an I quit match. The, the right guy went over. I, you know, Jack Swagger, he's still dealing with the court issues for being a pothead. So you don't want to, you don't want to put him up in, in contention, but you want to keep him around. I think that that's going to, it's going to bump into, you know, it's going to be one of those things that he's going to have to be bumped down the card because of that, especially if he ends up pleading guilty or, or having to do community service or any of that. So WWE is doing smart and letting, um, you know, Del Rio get the win there. And not for nothing, Del Rio's improved. Uh, the Latino community, they love him. But it's really because of Ricardo Rodriguez and his freaking intro. It's not because of Del Rio's wrestling. Honestly, I would um, I would have Del Rio get injured and have him come back as Mil Mascaras with the mask on. Kids would love that shit. And it would give Del Rio some new life. And you can have fun with that because people could be like, yo, man. I mean, Mascaras looks like Alberto Del Rio, and he could be like, nah, that's not me, you know, and have a bit of, have a bit of fun with that. Maybe make him Ricardo Rodriguez one week, make him Alberto Del Rio another week, and, you know, when they're like, oh, you know, Alberto, I know you're Mil Mascaras, and then have Ricardo Rodriguez walk out with the mask on, and people be like, oh, where's Ricardo? He's like, oh, Ricardo's getting my car or something. I think it'd be a good way to kind of add a little, a little spark to Del Rio's gimmick. I mean, him coming out and being the... Um, <laughs> do not say that Quark Ricardo should become Sin Cara. I think John Blade would probably uh, have a heart attack. Seen <laughs> seen cardio, I think is what you were looking for. Seen cardio, but um, <laughs> seriously. Anyway, moving on. Tag team tornado match for the um, tag team titles. Team Hell No and the Shield was tremendous. The Doomsday knee drop on Daniel Bryan was a ridiculous way to finish it off. Great tag team finisher. The Shield win the tag team titles. Of course, Ambrose comes out to celebrate with them in a picture that was seen all over the web. But I will say this team hell no kind of needed to lose only because they they've been a little stagnant and it's not because of, of the gimmick themselves, but just because the belts weren't being defended and they weren't, they weren't really doing anything with them. I think right now would be a great time to kind of start separating them. You don't have to make them feud. I'm sorry, you don't. You don't got to make these guys feud. It's not necessary. They could just, you know, amicably go their separate ways with a hug. Kane could go back to doing something in the mid-card, and Daniel Bryan can go back to challenging for the World Heavyweight Championship because not for nothing, I think him and Ziggler with their AJ history would give us some great title matches. The Big Show and Randy Orton match was about as formulaic as you would expect, and um, yeah, you know, Randy Orton got over which is fine because I'd rather the Big Show not win. And I was impressed that they let Randy Orton use the uh, the punt kick. It looked really good. Um, Randy Orton is is determined to turn heel. 
They've, he's been talking about it, and he's mentioned it in interviews, and the dirt sheets are a buzz. So we may see him turning heel and feuding with Sheamus come SummerSlam. That is a barn burner and a half, folks. You know I'm fucking kidding. You know that match is... That, that match pretty much just... Randy Orton and Sheamus... The, the end result is this. It's the battle of bland promos with those two guys. Who knows? Maybe Randy Orton will come out once again and ask Sheamus what his lines are. Seriously. So, the WWE last the, the WWE title last man standing match with John Cena and Ryback was what you'd expect, and it ended up leading to a nice big spot with... Um, them going through the wall of the set and Cena being taken out on a stretcher and the match being ruled a no contest. Now, the crazy thing about that is that reminds me of the spot with the big show and John Cena where John Cena got choke slammed through the spotlight. Um, you know, the, the, the crazy thing was that when you look at that match, it, it kind of played out the same way. Ryback winning the belt. Eh, you know, it, whether whether you wanted him to win the belt or not, he he showed some some shades of brilliance in that match. I will admit he did. But the problem with Ryback isn't the wrestling; it's the heel turn. It's like you have a guy that comes out as being this badass dude, fights two and three guys at a time, but then bitches when John Cena doesn't come out to help him. Like that was the grounds for the heel turn. Not only that, but his whole <sighs> John Cena. <sighs> It's like, it's like, can somebody get that guy a nasal strip? Like, come on, man. Like, the snarling gimmick, just get the fuck out of here. Seriously, it's, it doesn't, it doesn't work. Doesn't work. His heel turn was just so poorly done because he still hadn't really found his voice as a face to be turned heel. And when I say that, it's like, you take a guy, look at Dolph Ziggler. Dolph Ziggler was with Vicky Guerrero how long? Until he started getting comfortable enough on the mic that he was able to deliver great promos without her help. It became a point where Vicky Guerrero was a detriment, detriment to Dolph Ziggler when she was his manager. Ryback needs a manager. Fuck. You could have given Ryback Paul Heyman as a manager. You could have. And, and it would have been a great feud for CM Punk because Ry, he, CM Punk would have came back and been like, damn, Paul, you know, you talked all that shit about Ryback and now you're managing him. You become what you hated. Or, nice, nice, Val, very cool. Val said, get Ryback James Mitchell. James Mitchell would be another great manager to use with Ryback. Um, I, what Slick, Slick is right. I actually thought that Ryback would have won the belt and joined the Shield and that the beatdowns would have been initiations. I would have liked that, but you know what? That would involve being creative. Quark, James Mitchell, look up uh, Sinister Minister, if you want to look that up, or look up uh, Reverend James Mitchell. This dude, he he's on that Paul Heyman level of manager, so do yourselves a favor, check him out. No, you cannot give him Vince Russo. Get out of here. Mortis said Jimmy Hart. You know what the problem is? Jimmy Hart would be cheered more than Ryback would because Jimmy Hart is just such a throwback and you can't even boo him anymore because he's so old. Yep, Val, Val, once again, James Mitchell was abyss with abyss was ridiculous. So yeah, definitely look up early TNA stuff with uh, James Mitchell and abyss and you'll see what I'm talking about. So 
The title match, of course, didn't close out the pay-per-view. The steel cage match did. Brock Lesnar gets the win back. And here's my problem with that. You had Brock Lesnar in there with Triple H in a steel cage, and it took Brock Lesnar and Paul Heyman to beat Triple H. And, and you know why this bothers me, right? It bothers me because Triple H got, for all intents and purposes, a clean victory at WrestleMania. Why couldn't Brock Lesnar get a clean victory? Did you really need to let him get the dirty win? What, because he's a heel? The guy is a legit badass fucking guy. Simple as that. He's a badass dude. It was a great physical match. Why did you need to have interference to, to, to make that match work? Seriously. Brock Lesnar should have got a clean pinfall to really close out that feud. Because clearly we know that it's, it's you know, we're moving to um, Curtis Axel territory. So I, I was bummed. I was bummed that Triple H didn't, you know, he didn't co-sign Brock Lesnar getting the clean victory. It was it was it was stupid. And it I agree Quark said it best. The WWE telling me that Brock can't win in a cage insults my intelligence. You got that shit right. It really is an insult to my intelligence that Brock Lesnar couldn't get a clean pinfall on Triple H in a steel cage. It's fucking bullshit. Look, don't get me wrong, we all know wrestling is fake. It's predetermined. And before somebody says it's real to me, I know, I understand. But seriously, it's it's bullshit. It is complete bullshit that Brock Lesnar couldn't get a clean pinfall on Triple H. It's stupid. It's it's be it's beyond understanding to me why they couldn't do the right thing and let Brock Lesnar get the clean pin, especially because you could have closed out that feud. Brock Lesnar would have looked strong. Triple H could have gone on and you know you know, done his whole thing with, with Curtis Axel, and that would have been it. But no, you know, he's got to use the sledgehammer, and Triple H has got to look like like he's having a stroke, which I'll discuss that in a few minutes. Thank you, Jerry Lawler. <laughs> so, yeah, that's that's the long and short of it. Anyway, Extreme Rules overall, if I had to rate it out of a possible 10, I'd give it an 8, only because of some of the endings to some of the matches, but it, it was definitely a solid 8, 7.5, 8 in my book out of a possible 10 for sure. As for Monday Night Raw, uh, so, with that said, <laughs> with my reaction to Raw, I figure we'll start with, with Ryback's masterful fucking promo, which was, without a doubt, the biggest load of horse shit I've seen. I was I was dumbfounded that they let this guy come out and cut the promo that he cut which was complete shit. It's it's it was terrible. It was completely terrible how bad it was. And I'm trying to find it cuz I want you guys to hear it cuz I know some of you guys didn't get to see Raw and it was just a, a a a shitty shitty promo. He comes out on an ambulance and blah blah blah. I'm going to put people in the hospital. Ugh, it was it was shit. It really was shit. And if I could pull it up, I want you guys to hear it because you you wouldn't understand how bad it is until you hear it. Let me see. Is this it? Yes. Anyway, let's see if this works. Ladies and gentlemen, the promo you are about to hear is real. It is really shit. Well, Monday Night Raw begins tonight at the Sprint Center in Kansas City, Missouri. You are looking live. 
Oh, fuck you, YouTube. Well, Monday Night Raw begins tonight at the Sprint Center in Kansas City, Missouri. You are looking live. Uh, obviously, an ambulance is it rushing Coming right into the yeah, arena? Rushing into the arena here. decision in my match with John Cena was no decision. So as far as the record books indicate, there was no real winner. Now while John Cena may have walked away with the WWE Championship, he certainly didn't walk away. Now last night John Cena refused to be put in an ambulance. But I guarantee you, the next time we meet, he won't refuse. So I'm not just standing out here on an ambulance to look cool to all you stupid people, because I don't give a damn what any of you think anymore. I am out here to propose a match against John Cena at WWE Payback in an ambulance match. Where it does not matter if you're standing or not. It does not matter if your heart is beating or not. All that matters is throwing the other man in the back of an ambulance. And I guarantee you that man will be John Cena. And from there, John Cena will be taken to the medical facility. Like all of you are eventually going. In actuality, though, a lot of you will skip the medical facility and go straight to the morgue. Just look around at all yourselves. Fat, pathetic, weak, 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 weak people of society. I have nothing in common with any of you. You don't understand what it's like to wake up each and every day wanting to be the damn best. You wake up every day with no goals, no direction. You are all lost souls of society. Yet you worship John Cena. You want to be like John Cena. John Cena's your hero. Absolutely pathetic. None of you have anything in common with John Cena. None of you know what it's like to wake up and bust your ass each and every day. You know nothing about nutrition, education. All of you, hard work, you have no idea what it takes. So I tell you what, 
and WWE payback in the ambulance match. I take John Cena to the medical facility. I take John Cena to the morgue. I take all of you to the morgue with John Cena. Because there's only one fact of life, and that is Ryback rules. Yeah, that happened. I'm going to take all of you to the medical facility. To the medical facility. Not to the hospital. To the Shut up. Take your fucking heel turn to the medical facility and put it out of its fucking misery. That, that entire exchange was complete and utter dog shit. Dog shit. Seriously. It's like... I'm going to take all of you to the morgue, collectively. I'm going to take all of you and John Cena to the... Really? Come on. It's just... Give, give him a fucking manager. Anyone. Give, give him anyone. Give him, give him fucking Al Sharpton. Ariel Castro. Somebody. Give him a fucking manager. Someone who the crowd can hate more than him. People don't boo Ryback because he sucks. People boo Ryback because he's just a shitty heel. He's a decent, he's a passable wrestler. Get, get, give him David Arquette. Oh, Jody Arias. Thank you, Slick. Yes. (laughs) Jody Arias is Ryback's manager. Or, or what's the chick that the Farah Abraham is Ryback's manager? Shit, get Chris Kardashian to be his manager. You know, Ryback, when you're coming out of the mall, we're gonna set up some paparazzi when you're coming out with your protein shakes and stuff. You have to slap them in the face on the way out. That way, you can get in the new, you know, that kind of shit. Anything, please, please give him a manager. If I have to endure these kind of promos every week, I will fast forward the fuck out of them. I won't even fast forward them, you know, at two times speed. That should be at, at eight times. Like, it'll it'll go by so quick that I'll be halfway through Raw in, a, in the blink of an eye. It's disgusting. He sucks. Anyway, so after we got, out, got away from that terrible fucking promo... Wade Barrett and Fandango took on Summer Rae and Chris Jericho. And of course, it won't it wouldn't be a Fandango segment without. No, nothing. Clearly it doesn't want to play. Ah, correction. Let's try that again. That is now stuck in your head. Fuck you guys. <laughs> anyway, so Barrett and Fandango took on Chris Jericho and The Miz in a, in, in a pretty decent match. Nothing amused me more than Fandango just randomly going in front of the announce table and dancing with Prissy Hen and um, pretty much Wade Barrett getting his ass whooped. So <laughs> post-match, you know, they, they chase Fandango off. Chris Jericho goes to dance with uh, with Prissy and gives her gives her the talk to the hand. And, um, that was it. Oh, Quark, definitely. Wade Barrett's new music, 
was ridiculous. I was I, I like Wade Barrett's new music. I was actually looking to see if they had put the video up for it because they put Curtis. Ah, they did. Wade Barrett's new theme music is, is fucking awesome. Let's see if this is it because they put it up on May 23rd. So I'm hoping it's the new music. See, pretty badass, a little bit of English reference in there. Like that, liked um, Curtis Axel's music, even though Quark buried him. The music was cool, nice homage to to his dad. Uh, Mortis said that Slick, not our Slick that writes for MTR, but, but you know, Jive talking Slick should, should be um, <laughs> Ryback's manager. Mr. Fuji should be his manager at this point. <laughs> anyway, so... Chris Jericho pretty much played Prissy the Prissy the Hen, and um, you know Jerichol stru- struck one thousand percent. It was very very amusing. I think Fandango from now on should just lose every match by countout by going out and dancing with with Prissy Hen at the announce table. He should just be having a match and tell his opponent wait 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 and go out there and just just dance just dance. Just dance to end every match. It, it would be amusing, and it would just be so randomly insane that people would be like, but, but you're losing. People have to appreciate the dance. It would, it would be ridiculous. It would be so insane, just him randomly just going out there and dancing. And it should only happen it on, on, on obviously, only on Raw. On SmackDown, he should have matches. On Main Event, he should have matches. On Raw, he should say that since Raw is live, the live audience deserves to see him dance. And just have him dance every fucking Monday. It it would probably piss people off to the point where whoever he's fighting would come out and just beat him up and throw him in there. And he'd still get the victory, but maybe they'd be so bummed out that he'd lose via countout a couple of times. And it would still keep him strong. And the crowd would probably just get into it and hum the music. Just, just real crazy shit. And the only reason I say it is because the whole dancing thing is, is it's going to wear thin. And I say that because of Brodus Clay. You know, Brodus Clay came out. Everybody was digging Brodus Clay, except us, the MTR faithful. And little by little, it just wore thin. The dancing shit wears off. At least if you do crazy shit like that, it's so random that it would keep things interesting. Anyway. Sheamus, for some reason, decided that it was a great night to bury Titus O'Neil. Titus O'Neil got murdered to death, killed by the Brogue kick, and Heyman unveiled his um, his new client, which was formerly Michael McGillicuddy, now Curtis Axel. Um, I'll tell you a couple of things. The, the, the rationale for his whole renaming, you know, just calling him Curtis alone is just terrible. Like like the comic strip Curtis, like you could have just called him Kurt Axel or or you could have just called him, you know, Hennig. He could have just came out as Hennig himself, just his last name. Like Ryback, just Hennig. That's it. Just come out like that. Like yo, he's coming out in honor of his father and and this is Hennig and that'll be it. Just leave it like that, but Curtis Axel. You can't even chant that right 
Like maybe you could chant Axel, but really, it's just it's just such a such a terrible fucking name. Curtis Axel sounds like a car salesman or a guy that is the manager of a mattress emporium, not a mattress store, but a mattress emporium. Seriously, that that name was shit. I understand what you wanted to do, but um, it it was just weird. And it is true. It is true, Mortis. I did notice that it did say Kurt Axel on the Titantron. And, and that's what I, I... Kurt is okay. At least it's it's more, you know, like Mr. Perfect, Kurt Hennig. But to call him Curtis is just so... Blech, just so shitty. Of all... You know, you could have just... Like I said, you could have... Hennig, you could have called him Hennig. Which I would have rathered. Or, or the Axe. You could have just called him the Axe. You know, in honor of his grandfather, something. But Curtis Axel was just shit. And you know what the problem was with Curtis Axel? Not so much the debut, not so much the Paul Heyman endorsement. But you have a guy, or Axel Hennig. Axel Hennig would have been great. Thank you, Quark, and thank you, Mortis. Definitely, Axel Hennig would have been great. Would have been perfect. People could have ch- chanted Axel. They could have chanted Hennig. And not for nothing, it would have been cool if he would have came out and done the gum swat. I remember Chris Jericho, when, when Mr. Perfect passed away, he came out with the towel and did the gum swat. So little things like that. I'm, I'm not saying that he should come out and do the perfect plex as the finisher or something crazy, even though he should use some variation of the perfect plex for the finisher. Maybe do it like a perfect plex into a Michinoku driver. That would be a great finisher. But, um, you know, he comes out, the game comes out, and then the game pretty much buries the guy who you just tried to get over to the audience. Not only did he just say, yo, like, shut up, the adults are talking. Like, he straight bitched him out. On top of that, he slapped him. He slapped him like like Ike slapped Tina. Like, some real, like, oh, you know, like, I was waiting for that shit, like, like a bitch. He bitch slapped him, and the worst part was he slapped him, he, he hit the floor, and he sat there. I'm sorry, and Look, I understand, like, you know, the slap and wrestling is the thing, but any of you guys in the chat room, if a grown man slapped you in the face, you'd get mad and you'd get in the guy's face. Like, that's the way you gotta get it, gotta get the guy over. He should have popped back up and be like, uh, you know, you slap me, but, you know, and you, and you think that you're better than me, but while you were busy having slot matches with Henry Godwin, my dad was running this company. Like, that's the kind of shit you do. That way, you get slapped in the face, but you don't lose your heat. Any heat that he had ended the minute he got slapped and he hit the floor like a bitch. That's what he, that's what he should have done. He should have been like, yo, you know, you put your hands on me, you know, you're talking to me about adults and that the adults are talking, but while you were having these shitty matches, my dad was perfection in this company. Like something, something that would have made him look strong. As much as they tried to get him over, Triple H undid that in five seconds. It was it was terrible. It was a terrible, terrible segment to get the new guy over. The only good thing out of that segment was was the badass um you know remix music which was ridiculous i i really enjoyed it It was nice it was subtle had the little guitar riff in there check this shit out
See, not terrible. Nice little bit of Mr. Perfect undertones in there. It wasn't bad. It wasn't bad. What was bad was Triple H just burying him. And you know what? It was it was just unfortunate, to say the least. And, and I got to give credit to Quark. Quark went shortly thereafter, and he buried him on the site. And, of course, a couple of people were like, yo, man, you know, the guy just came out. You guys aren't even giving him a chance. It's not about giving him a chance because, obviously, buried is, is satire. But it's just the fact that they didn't, the creative team didn't even give him a chance because Triple H had to fucking crush him. He crushed him in that, in that segment. Made him look like a complete bitch. Ugh. It's terrible. So, Del Rio had a very solid match with Biggie Langston. Biggie Langston, um, secured the victory with the, uh, with the Mammary Masher, as Slick likes to call it, aka the big ending. Uh, Biggie Langston continues to look impressive in his matches. Um, <laughs> yes, Quark, we know you love you love that Johnny Ace. Anyway, Biggie Langston definitely looked really good in his match against Del Rio. I think Biggie Langston is going to get um, he's going to get that push that 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 breakaway from Ziggler might come sooner rather than later. We got some divas action with Layla and AJ Lee. Um, redeeming ourselves from last week with the with the Bella Twins and Caitlyn just killing the commentary for the match. Not to say that the commentary wasn't shit, because it was, but AJ looked really good in that match. Layla had a couple of fuck-ups. Um, they're really just doing this to get over AJ's finisher, which was pretty good. Um, I think that the problem with this, you know, using the, the, you know, the, the octopus hold and stuff, is that AJ's only able to pull that off on smaller divas. Like, if she fought like a Tamina... Or, you know, one of the one of the more the taller divas, it's not gonna work the same. Like the smaller divas, it looks more it looks more brutal. Like on Layla, on Natalia, it, it looks like a legit badass finisher. You know? There you go. Like AJ versus Karma, uh, Mortis brings up. Think about AJ trying to hit that on Karma. She it wouldn't happen. Karma would, would eat her like a Nilla wafer, but that's a separate story. Um <laughs> Seriously, I mean, the match was passable. I I thought Layla was injured, considering how long it's been since we've seen her on television. But seriously, like, Layla's another another diva. She's not terrible in the ring. She's decent on the mic. But we don't even know she's around. She rarely gets used. At least she got some, some airtime with, with AJ, even if it was to get AJ over. But you take what you can. Cody Rhodes took on Zack Ryder in a pretty competitive match i laugh because everybody's like yeah man zach Ryder, he's glow he's growing his hair out he's gonna be repackaged blah no no he's gonna be repackaged when he gets released and goes to tna and tag teams with the big o and robbie e but not in the wwe unless they're waiting for um kurt hawkins to come back and they're gonna put him together again but right now zach Ryder is you know three steps away from the exit in my opinion, and having Ryback come out and kill him dead and throw his ass in the ambulance, just it just got it over a little bit more. For me personally, I think, um, you know, Ryback coming out and throwing him in the ambulance, it kind of took the win away from Cody a little bit. And, um, you know, Cody, Cody's another guy, serviceable guy, great mid-carder, the only thing he needs is that one good feud to put him over. They started doing some really good stuff with him, and he they scaled him back too. And he's kind of in that gray area. They don't know what they want to do with him and Damian Sandow. Simple as that. 
Mortis, you know, I, I got to acknowledge Mortis said that they need to get more women of wrestling wrestlers if they want any wrestlers there. Well, you know what's funny? They have um, Sarah Del Rey training these divas. But if you hear, if you look at all the divas they've signed, none of them are established wrestlers. They're either fitness models, uh, female bodybuilders, female bikini models, no legit wrestlers, even though there's plenty out there. Eva was a was a good wrestler. They released her. She went to TNA briefly. I believe she's working with uh, Family Wrestling Entertainment. She's doing a tag match in an event they're doing here in New York City. But but again, you know, Maria Kanellis, she left. She wasn't a great wrestler either, but Maria was okay. She was all right. They let go of Angelina Love. Angelina Love went to TNA, got over, can wrestle fairly decently. Same thing. They let, um you know, Katie Lee Burchill go when she was with, with Pirate Paul. She went to TNA as Winter. She had a decent run. But again, passable female wrestlers that they can do stuff with. They just They just don't. It's easier to hire former playmates and fitness models and try and tr- and turn them into wrestlers forgetting that almost all of these chicks go use the company as a stepping stone and then leave they leave think about it eve torres got famous left kelly kelly got famous left trish stratus left on her own terms comes back when they need her lita left on her own terms comes back when they need her but the rest of them, they, they just they use it as a stepping stone and they leave. Even the Bella Twins thought that they could go off on their own, but we saw that shit failed. And now they're, they're everywhere. Now we have to endure seeing them broads on TV all the time. Ugh. China got famous, yep, she left, and then she did porn. And even still, even, even her going out there and doing porn, no, China left on her own terms, but she was kind of on the way out the door because of the whole Triple H, Stephanie McMahon relationship. But China is, is an interesting character to discuss. And, and it's funny you bring her up, Mortis, because she, she kind of helped her own demise. You know, she started getting a little too gassed. And she just, you know, her brain just fucking gave out. Like she just became a complete wreck. I mean, I really liked when she was met working with Eddie Guerrero. I think that was probably some of her better work. Uh, she had that that run with the women's title that was good. People were really digging her. She had the cool pyro with the with the firework gun. I think that was probably the pinnacle of her career. And then she just she just dropped the ball completely. She went. She did the porno. You know. She you know. X X Pac gave her head pretty much. You know because she had the the you know the mini man the mini man cock. And, uh, you know, she's still, she's still doing porno out there. I think she did like a, like an, uh, like a porno version of She-Hulk, if I remember correctly. I think, yeah, I think it was. They did a, um, uh, a porno of the Avengers and she was, she, uh, she, you know, she was She-Hulk, if I remember correctly. Thank you, Slick. And Slick confirmed it. See, Slick, Slick with the save. Anyway, we could talk about China and porn and that could be a whole separate segment, but, um, that's okay, Slick. You didn't see it. I saw it. <laughs> I saw it. It was exactly what you would expect. I'm not going to freaking sit here and lie. Anybody that, that talks that shit, oh, no, I don't watch that. Shut up. Stop it. Uh, anyway, so The Shield took on Team Hell No and Kofi Kingston in an amazing, amazing fucking match. Daniel Bryan was in full American Dragon mode. It wasn't Daniel Bryan, NXT rookie, blue chipper. That was full-on American Dragon violence all over Seth Rollins. It was 
bananas and Rollins just dialed it onto a thousand. I'm sure these guys, after that match was over, they went to the back and they got yelled at like, you guys shouldn't be so entertaining. Damn it. What are all those spots? You're supposed to kick and punch for 15 minutes. You know, just Vince having a stroke back there. It was, it was ridiculous. Look, the, the, the six of them, you know what they remind me of? If you guys remember when Paul Heyman was writing SmackDown and you had the SmackDown six, this is, these are the, this is what Raw is right now. Raw is these fucking guys. I mean, don't get me wrong. You got your, your Antonio Cesaro's, your Damian Sandow's, but I'm talking about six wrestlers that have tremendous chemistry together, that work well together. They are right here. The Shield, Kane, Daniel Bryan, and Kofi Kingston. Hell, even Kane with the with the um, with the seated drop kick. When the fuck do you see Kane just run out there and throw a seated drop kick? I mean, he does it on occasion, but he usually uses the big man offense. I'd like to say ninety percent of the time. It was it was tremendous, and just the 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 awesome flying knee drop from from Rollins, and then the spear to finish it off. It was ridiculous. It was. Amazing. And to think, imagine if Paul Heyman was writing Raw and these guys were, were running this company. It, it's tremendous. It is tremendous the way that that match went. We got 22 minutes of wrestling. 22. Think about this. There's th- three hours of Raw and the Shield and those three men, Team Hell No and Kofi Kingston, gave us 22 minutes of wrestling. That's all I'm saying. 22. And Brian, Daniel Bryan or Brian Danielson, the American Dragon, however you want to look at it, was amazing. Do yourselves a favor. If you guys haven't, go to highspots.com or um, even old ring, ringofhonor.com and pick up the best of, of Brian Danielson. You will see some hardcore violence. Hardcore violence. The American Dragon is in a class by himself. He is a he is the Chris Benoit of this generation, minus the pillows and killing his family. Minus all that, he is the Benoit of this generation, a, a technical tactician that delivers the goods in the ring. And his mic work is good. Anybody that says that Daniel Bryan's mic work is shit, he's come a long fucking way. Come a long way. I believe in the shield. I believe in those three motherfuckers. Why? Because they give us 22 minutes of wrestling. That's what we're tuning in for, right? Wrestling. Not dance contests. Not Jerry Lawler pining over the divas like a dirty old man. Not backstage segments. Wrestling. Say it with me, people. Wrestling. That's what that's what we tune in for. Anyway. Huh, Mortis asks, if you could bring back any three wrestlers, who would you bring back? Do they have to be former WWE wrestlers or any three, Mortis? And I will answer that for you in a few minutes. Um, Randy Orton took on Jack Swagger in a pretty academic match with the RKO out of nowhere. Blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, it was, it was, it was, ugh. I'll answer, I'll answer your question once I finish recapping Raw, Mortis. Triple H, of course, took on Curtis Axel. For some reason, Triple H was selling that he had a concussion, got the old glass eyes, and pretty much fainted. The crowd started chanting Triple H. The announce team was just dead to the world, and Raw went off the air. That was it. 
look, I understand you don't want to look weak, Triple H, and put over Curtis Axel, considering you buried him earlier on in the program. But really, oh, Triple H took that that sledgehammer to the face. Let's think about this. You took a sledgehammer to the face, and you're just you're all good. Yeah, you had a concussion. No, you took a sledgehammer to the face. I understand continuity, storytelling, but he, you could have used some black and blue makeup to make his face look bruised. Something, something to really sell that. Not just, oh, I'm going to pour water on myself, then I'm going to faint and look at you with the old crazy eyes. I'm going to look at you like, like, like Samuel L. Jackson looked at Justin Timberlake and Black Snake Moan. Seriously. Ugh. It, was, it was a terrible way to close out a, a decent Raw. A decent Raw. Seriously. Triple H buried the guy that they tried to get over in one night. Disgusting. Anyway. So Mortis in the chat asked, if I could have three wrestlers in the WWE, or I could bring back any three, who would they be? I will say, uh, AJ Styles, and uh, AJ Styles, Robert Roode, and probably probably the American Wolves. And even though that's a, they're a tag team, just individual also, you know, I would go with that. AJ Styles, the American Wolves, and um, Robert Roode. If I had to go further than that, Christopher Daniels, definitely. Not so much Frankie Kazarian because he had a shitty run, but um, Christopher Daniels, um, definitely. I would bring back, if it was guys that have been in the company, I'd bring back Bully Ray and make him a heel, like a legit heel. Bring him back as a heel. Let him do the solo run. Same shtick. Uh, former former WWE wrestlers. I'd definitely bring him back. I, w- I would bring back Rob Van Dam because you need Rob Van Dam. You need him in there. I'm sorry, but you do. And... Um, uh, I think the only other guy I would say probably would be, and and this is, you know, this is without saying, and that's Kurt Angle. And the reason I say Kurt Angle is because Kurt Angle would go out there and have four-star matches with 90% of the fucking roster. He would. Kurt Angle, regardless of whatever people say about drug problems or him just being crazy, imagine a wrestling match, a wrestling match, between Kurt Angle and Daniel Bryan. A legit wrestling match. Or Kurt Angle and CM Punk. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. Any of those guys would rock in the WWE. And, and you know, a lot of you guys said, oh, you know, AJ Styles would get shit on in the, in the WWE. I'm talking about if the WWE had a solid creative team that knew wrestling, AJ Styles would be a problem. AJ Styles would be serious. And if you don't even want to give him a solo run, I would put AJ Styles in a tag team with Evan Bourne and let him run rampant in the tag team division. It would be nasty. You know what's funny? Quark brought up Kevin Nash. I would make Kevin Nash the manager of Raw. I would. I'd make Kevin Nash the, the manager of Raw. I would. Not that Vicky Guerrero isn't good, but Nash would be God tier. 
He would be God tier. His promos alone just come out, yeah, you know, you guys, you're kind of boring. Get the hell out of my ring. Let's get some real guys in there that are going to wrestle. Like, like, like Kevin Nash would be that kind of a dude. I would love to see that. Or I would love to see Kevin Nash be Booker T's co-GM just so we can see um, Black Snow and uh, who the hell did, did Kevin Nash call himself in TNA? Uh, when they were doing the, the announcing together, somebody, anybody, Mortis, step in here. I know it was it, it was um, Black Snow. Yes, Chet Snow and Al White. Thank you, Quark. Um, ridiculous. I'd love to see Kevin Nash not wrestling, but in a in a in a manager role, you, you know, as an enforcer or or as a um or as a GM. It'd be great. Kevin Nash wrestling. Get the fuck out of here. Definitely not. Manager or GM. Sign me the fuck up. I am down. Anyway, let's get into um TNA Impact, which was surprisingly good. And I'm not even going to talk about Brooke Hogan and her shit. But I want to talk about suicide because for weeks I've been talking about it on our Facebook fan page. I am a fan of the suicide gimmick. I think that done right, you would sell a ton of merchandise. A a great finisher, a great wrestler. I don't even know who was under the mask. Some people say Christopher Daniels. Some people say Frankie Kazarian. Some people say um, the the guy who played Harold, Scorpio Sky. Uh, other people are saying that it was Shark Boy under the mask. I don't care. It was ridiculous. And um, Suicide is going to Slammiversary to face Kenny King and Chris Saban for the X Division title. It was great. It really was good. Um, good to see Joey Ryan back in there. Um, just because Joey Ryan should be in the X Division on the regular. But Suicide is a is a problem. It is a problem. They're saying that TJ Perkins might be the guy under the mask. I don't know, but um, I got to put TNA on my shit list because there's something going on with Zima Ion, and I'll discuss that in a few minutes. The Magnus and Wes Briscoe match was the second match of the night. Wes Briscoe's okay, definitely a, a blue chipper. Um, Sharkboy actually wrestled on TNA Explosion, uh, Quark. I don't know if they have Explosion on YouTube, but um, yeah. Val, Val, you are shitting on Zima Ion, but when I talk about what what's going on with him, he's it's it's some foul shit. Anyway, Magnus took on Wes Briscoe, of course. Aces and Aids got involved. Garrett Bischoff and stupid ass uh, Festus. Ugh, it, it, it's unfortunate because the match was was solid. Briscoe definitely he he's okay. His 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 run thus far though has been lackluster because they don't really let you guys show anything. Samoa Joe makes his return for the save. It is what it is. Um, James Storm had its tag team partner. Turns out that his tag team partner is Gunner. So, um, you know, everybody thought it was going to be Stone Cold Shark Boy and (laughs) which was, which was pretty badass. But, um, you know, Gunner, Gunner was the guy. Gunner is going to be um, James Storm's tag team partner in the match at Slammiversary against Chavo Guerrero and Hernandez, Austin Aries, and Bobby Roode. Gunner, it's funny because Gunner has the look. He definitely has the look to be a major player. I just feel that he's always just underutilized. I love Stone Cold Shark Boy. Probably one of the <laughs> one of one of my favorite gimmicks, Stone Cold Shark Boy, because it is so silly. 
and so outlandish, but it's fun. You know what I mean? It doesn't take itself serious. Um, I do agree. Gunner definitely was not what I was looking for. I thought we were going to dust off Chris Harris and, and get an America's Most Wanted reunion. Unfortunately, that was not the case. Uh, and some knockouts action, which was shockingly the, uh, you know, you want to kind of call it the main event of the evening. Uh, Velvet Sky took on Mickey James TNA knockouts title. Mickey James wins the belt. We got a nice title change there in, in a solid, solid match. There definitely were some shitty spots. Uh, Velvet's, Velvet's offense and her selling was just bullshit. Um, there was a, a, a terrible first spot that if you see, you can tell it was just fucked up. And it's crazy because um, I think Mickey James were going to pull the, the trigger and, and heal her up, turn her heel, which is fine. Um, Velvet, I think, is still with the knee injury, and she's still probably nursing that. But between you and I, I think her wrestling just, she needs to step back for a little bit and improve on her wrestling. Because I don't know what happened. Maybe it was the knee injury, or maybe it's just the fact that she just isn't 100%. But her wrestling has taken a turn for the fucking worse. Mickey James with the belt is fine. Mickey James ain't bad to look at either, so it's all good. So there you have it. Um, so we were going to close out TNA Impact with with an angle, which was AJ being patched in and officially becoming a member of Aces and Eights. Um, you know, they pretty much are trying to book AJ Styles a la Crow Sting. Um, you know, Kurt Angle gets beat up. And, um, you know, the group turn away for the pose down and then AJ Styles turns around. He beats up Doc, couple of members with the hammer, and then he just walks off alone. Um, you could see a mile away, you know, that AJ wasn't going to join Aces and Ace. They're really kind of teasing him as the loner, crow, sting type, enig- enigmatic figure, um, which is fine. I think AJ's moveset now that he's kind of like the lone wolf is, is, is better. I, I like the submission he used um, a couple of weeks back. His offense was definitely different, which obviously was to reflect um, on his character. So I think that was fine. The only other thing, though, that got me was just the fact that, um, you know, AJ, his mic work isn't that good. That's the problem. I think his mic work is, is decent. I see that... Uh, Speaking of Wolf, he said that his sound cut off. If anything, if anything, Wolf refresh. Usually, anybody whose sound cuts off, they just refresh and they're good to go. So I figured I'd answer that. But Impact, Impact was decent. I'd I'd like to say that Impact and Raw were neck and neck in terms of wrestling quality this week. The patching in of AJ Styles, the you know the whole main event, the whole closing angle. I'm never a fan of angles closing out shows because it just it just kind of makes things come off weak. But I will say that, you know, the uh, going the solo lone wolf run for AJ might be what the, his character needs at this time. So we'll see how that pans out. Anyway, let's get into the other wrestling news for this week because there are there are a few. Um, so Zima Ion was hospitalized earlier this week, and um, turns out he was hospitalized for severe stomach pains, and he ended up going in. For appendicitis and what happened was that when they went in for appendicitis they found that he had a tumor in his colon and um, that he had to have surgery to remove it 
And, you know, obviously we don't know if it's cancerous or not, but did some crazy shit. You know, he had an emergency appendectomy and they found the five centimeter tumor in his colon. So he's waiting for the status of it, you know, based on a biopsy. But here's the crazy thing. You know, Zima Ion wrestles for TNA, is an active competitor, and has no insurance. So his girlfriend actually had to set up a fundraising drive to pay for his medical care. The goal right now is to raise $30,000 within the next 93 days. Here's the crazy thing. Zima Ion wrestles for TNA. He is an active competitor. The guy has a five centimeter tumor. He wrestled like two weeks ago. And you guys aren't paying his medical bills. Are you fucking kidding me? And TNA is notorious for this shit. If you guys remember, um, Daphne who wrestled for them, she had a concussion and they tried to pull some shit. She ended up suing him. It's insane. It just boggles my mind that a guy has a five centimeter tumor wrestled roughly two weeks ago and he has to get charity to raise $30,000 for his medical care. And it is true, Mortis, WWE would have paid for that. He's an active competitor. WWE pays for for the for these drug guys' rehabs. You know, Tammy Lynn Sitch, Scott Hall, X-Pac, all these guys have had rehab paid for by WWE. Zima Ion has a fucking tumor, a tumor in his colon. Colon cancer can kill you quickly, might I add. And he and they don't pay for his medical care. It just that's just some disgusting ass shit. Oh yeah, that's right. Mortis Mortis mentioned that they paid for Maven to go to rehab. And it's true. How long ago did Maven get the fucking can from Tough Enough? It's ridiculous. It is it is sad that TNA can't afford $30,000 to pay for their talent's medical care. They paid for for Jesse Sorensen's medical care. Are are they doing it because, you know, are they not paying for his because, you know, he injured Jesse Sorensen? Who knows? But come on, man. The guy's waiting for a biopsy to find out if he has fucking cancer. Don't be such pieces of shit. Seriously. Anyway, WWE had a uh, roster purge this week. Most of it was all developmental guys. So Sakamoto, who you guys know was with Tenzai, got the boot. He is out of here. He trained under Takamichinoku and was signed by WWE in 2011. He is gone. Audrey Marie, a diva, also signed in 2011. Gone. Also... Derek Bateman, gone. Briley Pierce, who is Ryan Nemeth, a.k.a. brother of Dolph Ziggler, gone. Percy Watson, gone. Just just a massive purge of talent. And you know what the crazy thing is? WWE is opening up a a brand new state-of-the-art wrestling facility, a training facility in Florida. So they're doing a a whole bunch of signings, and they're signing a whole bunch of guys. Uh, Sammy Callahan's on that list. Um, and a couple of other indie guys. So it's just a matter of, of weeding these guys out. Now, it's funny because Derek Bateman, he had this really weird USA gimmick. And um, I thought they were going to bring him, give him the call up. Maybe break Jack Swagger off from Zeb Coulter, put Zeb Coulter with uh, Derek Bateman for a little bit, doing the whole Murica gimmick. And I actually thought that um, 
you know, Ryan Nemeth, Dolph Ziggler's brother was going to get the call up, but turns out that's not the case. Same thing with Percy Watson. I would have put Percy Watson in with the primetime players, a la, you know, the 3MB, and have those guys go out there and wrestle like the Freebirds did. And because I, I actually think that if you look at those guys, I I think Titus O'Neil is probably going to be the breakout star of that tag team. And I would have put Darren Young with Percy Watson because they used to be a tag team anyway. They used to be the party boys. So very strange, but I'm sure TNA will probably scoop up Sakamoto for a T for their X division. Maybe they'll grab some of the divas. I'm sure Percy Watson will get signed because he's athletic. He has a pretty solid gimmick and his, his wrestling is, is, is decent. So these guys will probably end up, you know, TNA ring of honor, Chikara, um, who knows, but, We'll see what happens. And sometimes these guys get cut, and then a year or two later, they're they're re-signed. So there you have it. Roster purges courtesy of NXT. So within the last couple of months, you know, WWE's been putting out some really good DVDs, and they actually put out a list, according to the Wrestling Observer, of their top-selling DVDs. And the number one top-selling DVD is CM Punk's DVD, They sold 137,000 units, followed by the Attitude Era DVD, the NWO Revolution, then the Undertaker DVD, and closing things out, the Best of Nitro Volume 2 with 114,000 units. So definitely a a great showing by CM Punk. His DVD was really good. Um, For All Mankind is definitely awesome. If you guys get a chance, try and you have Netflix, definitely check some of those out because they are on Netflix. And um, I, it's weird. I'm curious. Quark asked what happened with uh, Mankind's DVD, the Mick Foley one for all mankind. I'm curious to see how many units that sold because honestly, WWE did not promote that as much as I thought they would. So I think that definitely has something to do with it. They promoted the shit out of the CM Punk DVD and they promoted the shit out of the other DVDs that are on this list. But it's true. They didn't promote the Mankind DVD as much. Hell, I don't even think Mick Foley came out to promote it like he promotes all his other stuff, so that may have something to do with it as well. So, I wanted to talk about this particular bit of news because Paul Heyman brought it up in his Curtis Axel promo, and that is about being a a second and third generation superstar and how it hurts. And um, Barry Darso, who wrestled during, who was a member of Demolition, his son, Dakota Darso, is actually in WWE right now. Um, here's, here's the thing. He said, with regards to his son breaking into the business, and I wanted to share this with you guys, he said, um, it's just my opinion, but I think being a second-generation wrestler hurts a little bit. Companies can only have so many second- or third-generation wrestlers on the roster. You have to have different types of characters. For every Randy Orton, there's a Von Eric. For every Neidhart, there's a Rotunda looking to break out. And it's true. I think what what Paul Heyman said about being a generation wrestler, it, it's a gift and a curse because a lot of a lot of guys are expected to perform on the level of their fathers and grandfathers, and some of them even get pigeonholed in those gimmicks. Now, I understand, you know, the necessity to break Curtis Axel out uh, as his own character, but at the end of the day, some of these guys they need that initial push of being a generational superstar to get over. See, Cody Rhodes didn't really need his dad to get over because Cody Rhodes has been, he's been pretty decent. I think, um, you know, his, his run with the mask was probably his best work. Um, the mustache is good, but I think when he was the mask and putting the paper bags on people's heads was probably Cody Rhodes best work. And again, there was no, 
distinction of him being, you know, Dusty Rhodes' son, unless it was something that had to be brought up because Dusty Rhodes was on TV. So, again, these are these are interesting things that are brought up, and I can understand where it is at times a gift and a curse because it's true. It's like these guys, they have to, they got to perform based on the expectations of their of their parents. And it is, that is true, Mortis. Mr. Perfect never won the WWE title, which, by the way, is a fucking tragedy. So, you know, his son definitely has the opportunity to make his mark in the business. But look at, let, let's look at, um, here, here's a great example. Let's look at the Usos. The Usos are the sons of Rikishi. You know, they're also related to the Wild Samoans. The Usos are a, a a solid tag team. The crowd is into them, but they're just they're just billed as as the you know the sons of Rikishi pretty much. There's no real gimmick. I think the best the best thing they had going for them was when they came out and they do the Siba Tao, which was tremendous. And I actually even liked them when they were working with Tamina, because I felt that doing something like that, some generational faction, needs to be done. While Obviously, people can talk about legacy with Orton and Ted DiBiase Jr. and Cody Rhodes. Let's think about the outcome of that faction. The only person that really benefited from that faction was Randy Orton. Because look at Ted DiBiase Jr. What is he doing? Nothing. I think he's been on, on a couple of dark matches. He's not even on television. And he's another guy. Stuck. Stuck being the son of the million dollar man. And I believe his brother is also signed. If I were the, if I were WWE, I'd take his brother and him, put them together, and call him Money Inc. And you have a tag team. You don't have to come out with the Million Dollar Man as your manager, but fuck it, why not? Million Dollar Man is their manager, and they wrestle as Money Inc. Or if you can call up uh, what's his name, um, IRS's son, who you uh, who's uh, Husky Harris, put Husky Harris with Ted DiBiase, and you still have Money Inc. Because it's IRS and Ted DiBiase. You can have a lot of fun with that. They don't got to come out dressed like their fathers and shit, but you can use that name. You can build something with that. Seriously, I don't understand why Ted DiBiase Jr. isn't isn't further up on the card. And, you know, Val says, you know, Ted DiBiase Jr. would have been a breakout star and not Cody, but Cody put in the work. Ted didn't have a personality. It's true. But you know what the problem is with guys that don't have personality? You put them in tag teams with guys that do. That's that's it. Like I would have put you know, the you would have put the two DiBiase brothers in a tag team, have Ted DiBiase be their mic man, and that would have been it. Or I would have put Husky Harris with Ted DiBiase Jr., acknowledge that Husky Harris is IRS's son and just acknowledge that they want to keep the the success of their fathers and achieve that level of success. Husky Harris isn't bad on the mic. On the contrary, his NXT work is ridiculous. Ted DiBiase Jr., you have all these generational superstars that you can do some things and they need just some subtle tweaks to fucking get the job done. But instead, you just rely on that on that ingrained, oh, he's the son of this guy or he's the grandson of this guy or she's the daughter of this guy. And it just it doesn't always work. Do you honestly think people gave a fuck that Tamina was the daughter of Jimmy Superfly Snuka? The only time people gave a shit was when she did the Superfly Splash. Because it's the only thing that set her apart from the other divas. It wasn't her look. Nobody gave a shit about her look. On the contrary. 
She came out with the wild hair, and they made her. They made that bitch get a perm. They're like, yo, go perm your hair. Come out looking like the rest of the divas, all cookie cutter and shit. Instead of letting her look different. No, we're not going to do that. No, you got to go perm your shit. Come out looking like the rest of them. There's no, there's no personality for some of these guys because WWE uses the, the generic, oh, he's the son of this guy. And I think that's, that's part of it. And I have to agree with, with what Barry Darso said. It does hurt them a bit. That's it. And, and Val is right. Val said in the chat room, WWE needs to focus on actually developing talent instead of throwing rookies to the wolves just because they have names. Yes, 100% true. Some of these guys really did get thrown to the wolves, and some of them were actually set up to fail on purpose. Anyway, to wrap up wrestling, uh, Jerry Lawler posted on Twitter, I want to apologize to Triple H and his family for insinuating that he may have had a stroke. I know first set, firsthand how upsetting it could be. So, Jerry Lawler makes a stroke joke, but here's the funny thing about that. Jerry Lawler's been using his stroke as a joke for the longest fucking time. When the ambulance came out, oh, my ride is here. Look, I understand you kind of want to make it lighthearted and not take it seriously, but dude, you fucking had a heart attack on national television. And not only that, but the joke is getting stale as shit. Cut the shit out, dude. We get it. You had a stroke. We got it. Thank you. Seriously. Nobody gives a shit anymore. Move the fuck on. All right. With that, we're actually going to wrap up wrestling for this week. Let's talk some video games because, ladies and gentlemen, there is a shitload of stuff to talk about. So we're going to open things up with Madden Roster Update 25, which, get this, has a special edition coming out available only on Amazon. Ladies and gentlemen, get your money ready, because this cash grab is the most blatant kind. This particular edition will run you $100. You want to know why this particular version of Madden is $100, ladies and gents? Because you are getting a one-year subscription to the DirecTV NFL Sunday Ticket which lets NFL fans watch out-of-market NFL games during the season. But you know how they want to fuck you over? By only allowing you to use the subscription on computers, tablets, or mobile devices. The Anniversary Edition will have 50,000 copies available for the PS3 and the 360. It will also include a Madden Ultimate Team Card Pack, which is going to be available every week for the rest of the regular season. Seriously, $100 and you get a one-year subscription to the NFL Sunday ticket. Don't get me wrong. I don't mind watching the NFL. I do, I do occasionally watch a couple of football games. I will tell you, you know, my, my ADD doesn't let me sit through a whole football game because I lose interest. This is why I watch MMA because it ends very quickly. <laughs> MMA at most, you spend 15 minutes or 25 minutes with the NFL and any major sport. I because you got to be way too fucking invested and ain't nobody got time for that. Seriously though, you're going to pay a hundred dollars for Madden. And you're going to get the one-year subscription to the Sunday ticket. If any of you guys in the chat or any of our listeners are hardcore football fans, do you 
actually go out of your way to watch out-of-market NFL games? I'm curious. For those of you that are, that, are, that are NFL fans, do you guys lose your shit to try and watch out-of-market NFL games? I'm curious. You know? See, Wolf says, I have football viewing parties, but I won't pay for it. How do you watch your, your out-of-market games, Wolf, if there are any? Do you just try and find other channels that are airing them? Like, I'm curious about what the big deal is about the Sunday ticket. Like, I understand that, you know, you're going to get these out-of-market games, but really it's a hundred dollars, a hundred. You get the game, which is 60. So you're basically paying $40 for the one year subscription and you can't even watch it on your TV. What if you're a direct TV customer and you want to watch it? I don't understand. And then it's like, you can watch it on your tablet. So let me get this straight. You watch one game on your TV. Then you're going to watch your out-of-market games on the tablet or on your phone or on your computer. How many people legitimately sit in front of their television with a computer? Don't get me wrong. When I had my iPad, I'd watch TV and I'd have the iPad close by either because of IMDB or to take notes for the show or to check in on Get Glue. Like, I actually... Like, a tablet is understandable. But I'm, like, nobody's fucking doing it with their, um, with their computers. It's it's insane. Shout out to, uh, Josh Coleman from the T4 show who's in the Mixler chat. Um, Colm, if you want, you can actually hit up the link that's there and join the, sh- the chat on, you know, on the website. We got a couple people in the chat room. You could get in on that. Uh, Culmination actually... Host the T4 show with Michael Manna, who some of you guys may know as Stevie Richards, and now he's uh, streaming games on the G on the um, GFQ Gaming Network channel. He actually introduced me to DOTA or Dota, so um, he actually got me watching that shit. But that's that's something else. I'll discuss that in a few minutes. But yeah, hundred bucks for the game with the subscription for the NFL ticket. I like what um, Dark Helmet says. Dude, bros will pay for it. <laughs> holy shit dude bros (laughs) thank you sir oh man seriously i look i was talking about this before and i mentioned it to slick and i've mentioned it to quark and blade i don't i haven't bought a madden game in years because they don't do anything to take the medium forward by the way comb i know you are playing planet side 2 on your pc just saying um anyway but yeah, $100, I was curious what you guys would say about that, because that's, that's insane. 100 bucks, you get the subscription for the Sunday ticket, and you can't even use it on your TV. you got to use it on your computer or your tablet or your phone. Anyway, and some other PC news that I wanted to kind of put out there, Metal Gear Revengeance, which Quark hates with all his life, is heading to the PC. Um, Hideo Kojima announced it on his uh, Hyde Radio podcast, which you can listen to on Konami's website. So it will be getting a port to the PC. I'm sure people are going to have a lot of fun modding that game. I'm actually playing Metal Gear Revengeance for a review, which I'll be posting on MyTakeRadio.com in the near future. Probably, excuse me, probably this weekend. So we'll see if that happens. I know a lot of people read my Gears of War Judgment review. Some people were not like hardcore Gears fans reached out to me and they were like, dude, you just don't get it, man. This game it's a prequel and, and you know it was it was cool it's like no no the fuck it wasn't glorified dlc for 60 dollars fuck you get the hell out of here 
I liked it. Don't get me wrong. $60? You are out of your fucking mind. Seriously. Anyway, Nintendo did an announcement earlier this week, and pretty much no one cared. And that's because they signed an exclusive deal to bring Sonic the Hedgehog to the Wii U and 3DS. Everybody's like, oh man, Nintendo bought Sega. All right, this is going to be amazing. It's like, no, stupids. Nintendo signed a deal with Sega. Why? Because Sega doesn't make hardware. So they, you want to use Sonic in a, in a three-way gangbang with Yoshi and Princess Toadstool? Knock yourself out. Give us some money. That's what they do. They just whore out Sonic the Hedgehog. They don't give a shit. Hey, we want to put Sonic in Gears of War. We want him to get shot at by the Locust. No problem. Here you go. How much are you going to give us? Half a million? Go ahead. Hey, you guys mind if we put Sonic in Dead Island and he's going to run around with the zombies and you're going to get zombie Sonic? Sure. Go ahead. No problem. Great. Knock yourselves out. So, so telling me that they signed an exclusive deal with Nintendo is absolutely bullshit to me. You want to know why? Because you're going to see Sonic and Mario at the 2014 Olympic Winter Games on the Wii U, and they're going to get Game Gear Sonic games on the 3DS Virtual Console. Oh, yeah. I'm super excited. Super pumped. 2014 Sonic Winter Olympics because nothing says, hey, this game is going to be awesome than Sonic doing downhill slalom with fucking Mario. Get out of here with that shit. Oh, we're going to reveal the game at E3 Sonic Lost Worlds. Okay. Great. But what does that mean exactly? Oh, it's going to be a new Sonic game. It's going to be great on the Wii U. Look, if you want to, like I've said, Mario and Sonic in a game together. That's it. Play boards as Sonic. Play boards as Mario do do a, a Sonic game where Mario can play the role of Tails, where he's computer controlled, or you can alternate and Sonic can play the role of Tails. Do some shit like that. Seriously, Mario and Sonic at the Olympics is tiresome. Here we are stepping up to the plate for the shot put Bowser. Yay! Here we go. Hold on a second. Ladies and gentlemen, Debuting on the stage, Bowser! Yeah! Ooh, yeah! Track and field, Mario, Sonic, Yoshi! Get the fuck out of here. Yeah, you like that, huh? I actually use the mixer special effects. But seriously, it, it's, it's, it's so stupid. Do something with Sonic that's worthwhile. I liked what somebody in the chat said about, um, you know, do like Mario and Sonic party games. Do something of substance. Something. You know what they're announcing? Sonic the Lost Worlds, which is probably going to be a pretty decent Sonic game. And But they made sure to tell us about the 2014 Winter Games. Who cares? How many people legitimately spend money on these Sonic and Mario Olympic games? You know what I do? I buy them for my sister, and I'll tell you why. My sister has autism, for those of you that don't know, and one of her her favorite characters are Mario and Sonic. Plays the games like a champion. So when I run out of games to buy her, she gets Mario and Sonic at the fucking Olympics. 
Because she doesn't care. It's her two favorite characters in one game. That's it. I did like the Sonic racing game, Wolf. I really did. And Dark Helmet, Sonic and Mario Kart would be awesome. But in that particular instance, if Sonic was in Mario Kart, he'd have no car. Sonic would be running on foot and all the power-ups he would hold in his hand. That'd be badass. Imagine Sonic just running down the, the mushroom level in, in, in Mario Kart and he picks up that red shell and just fucking lobs it at Mario. Oh, it'd be tremendous. Like, that. that's the kind of shit you want to do. You want to show me exclusive deals? Do shit like that. Sonic running down the track, just throwing shit, getting different power-ups. Be tremendous. And then his special power-up will be he turns into Gold Sonic, and it automatically puts him in first place. Be, it'd be ridiculous. No, we got to get the Olympic Games. That's what we got to get. Anyway. Batman Arkham Origins actually put out another trailer, which you can check out on MyTakeRadio.com. But Amazon actually kind of played the role of spoiler, letting gamers know that you'll be able to play as Deathstroke if you pre-order Batman Arkham Origins on Amazon. Uh, The game, of course, is going to be an original prequel story taking place several years before Batman Arkham Asylum and Batman Arkham City. The game will be available on the Wii U, PlayStation 3, Xbox 360, and PC on October 25th. So... If you do the pre-order, you'll be able to play as Deathstroke. Now, the question is, are you playing as Deathstroke in the campaign, or are you doing the fucking challenge maps? Because, you know, nothing annoys me more than that particular bait-and-switch. Hey, you can play as Robin. Hey, you can play as Nightwing. Not in the game, but in challenge maps. Seriously. I'd like a game, uh, I'd like a Batman game where you can play through the story as Batman, Red Robin, Nightwing... And and the Red Hood. That would be badass. Like, you do different parts of the game, and it'll be like, Robin, I'm set. Are you in the other part of Gotham City? Yep. And you can play as Robin. That would be badass. As, and not, not bullshit Robin, but like Damian Wayne ass-kicking Robin with the sword. That'd be great. That, that'd be tremendous. You can play a part of the, a couple of stages as Robin. He'd be like, all right, I'm uh, all secure on this end. I would do a... um an Arkham style version of the no man's land storyland where, you know, the earthquake ravages Gotham city and Batman needs all the help possible. Cause all the criminals escape and you could play as all the different members of the Batman family. Imagine that just a no man's land uh, on consoles. Oh, it'd be ridiculous. You're going through, you got, you got all the different criminals having different zones of Gotham City under their control. You're trying to get through. Like Batman can't drive the Batmobile. Because there's like rubble in the streets. And, and buildings are collapsing. And you could play as. Like I said. Batman. Robin. Red Robin. Nightwing. And, and even Red Hood if you want. Or even or Batgirl. Oh it'd be ridiculous. Like I understand. You know you want to you wanna keep doing the whole Arkham shit. But a No Man's Land console version. Would be Insane. It'll be insane. It'd be, it'd be, I, I would lose my shit if they did that. Because it would not only allow you to have to play the game as Batman, but you'd get to try some different characters. Yeah, Batwoman would be cool using Batwoman in a, in a, in a mission or two. Catwoman, if you wanted to you give her a, a, a lease on life. And you could really make the game huge. I'm talking GTA level huge. Like you could go through and save people randomly or you can go through the campaign. Oh, it, it would be sick. 
it would make so much money because, and then you could do DLC where, you know, you can get different costumes or, or shit like that. Like you can make, you can change Batman and make Batman, um, uh, Dick Grayson, Batman and Robin will be Damian Wayne. And you could play a campaign as that. It would, it would be ridiculous. It would be ridiculous. I wouldn't mind seeing a a Batman with with Dick Grayson as Batman and and Damian Wayne as Robin. You can have a lot of fun with that. I'm not saying it has to be the whole game, but maybe you can tease a little bit of the you know the the Bruce Wayne get it missing and and cite the whole um, Black Lantern shit and tie it together. Something, anything. But look, I don't mind Arkham Origins. I think it's going to be a, a pretty badass game, and I and I love Deathstroke. I'm a huge Deathstroke mark, so I'm not going to sweat it. But a No Man's Land Batman game would, would be out of this world. Just saying. While I'm on the subject of that, a lot of people have been talking about that Kevin Conroy is going to be Batman, and now they're saying that he's not. And then IGN reported that Kevin Conroy will not be voicing Batman. Batman's going to be voiced by Roger Craig Smith, and Troy Baker's going to do the voice of the Joker. What they're saying is that Conroy may be doing voice, uh, Batman voiceover for after the game, you know, when Batman is older recalling the story or maybe for a next generation Batman game. But as of right now, Kevin Conroy is not doing the voice of Batman in this game. Just so we're clear, you know, Batman news said that Kevin Conroy confirmed that he would voice him at Dallas comic con. And then IGN said that they weren't Roger Craig Smith is voicing Batman. Troy Baker is voicing the Joker. That's it. So, Earlier in the segment, I mentioned Gears of War. If you're actually still playing that game, they're going to release another map pack, Lost Relics, which is coming out in June. The new pack will contain four new maps, a new single-player objective, new armor, and new weapon skins. So there you have it. <sighs> I, don't even, I don't even know what to say. I don't. If you guys are interested in picking up Watch Dogs, there's a couple of different pre-order exclusives you can access um, pre-orders are going to be accepted until November 18th. If you get it through GameStop, you'll get a bonus single player mission, the palace pack. Uh, you're going to get the investigation bonus, and you'll also get an exclusive poster, um, designed by Alex Ross. If you pre-order through Amazon, you're going to get the signature shot pack. Um, you're also going to get some weapons. Uh, yep. So that, those are, those are your two pre-orders. Anyway, Watch Dogs drops November 19th on the PS3, Xbox 360, Wii U, and Windows. Allegedly, they also plan on launching it for the PlayStation 4, but we shall see what happens with regards to that. So, the time has come to discuss good old Xbox One. So, our very own Slick watched Xbox One's press conference while I was in the office, and he pretty much shared his thoughts throughout the evening. So... I'm sure many of you are wondering how I feel about it. A couple of things I got to say. Everybody, and I, and I put this, I put this on, on my Facebook page. I put it on my fan page. I said that a month ago when the PlayStation 4 was announced, guys legitimately squirted in their shorts. Oh man, this system's revolutionary, bro. It's going to be tremendous. It's going to be amazing. It's going to revolutionize this industry. Microsoft don't got shit on the PlayStation. They don't got shit on it, man. They're not ready. They're not ready. 
And after this press conference was over, yo, man, PlayStation is dead. Microsoft just revolutionized and changed the game. You're not ready. Same fucking people. Same people. And here's here's my take on that before I get into the system itself. PlayStation showed us a controller and a couple of games. They showed us a controller, not a system, a controller. And 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 I was excited. I was excited because I, I was like, all right, cool. Sony's doing something different. Microsoft showed us TV, dogs, race cars, EA all over it, and oh look, HDMI in. Here's here's the here's the here's the skinny. I personally am not going to say that either system sucks because I haven't seen fucking games. What? I can I can I can look at the TV guide for my cable on my Xbox. I don't care. Oh, I can take Skype calls on my Xbox. Great. You know what that means? That people are going to video chat and guys are going to, instead of sending cock pics to girls, they're just going to try and jerk off on camera. Get out of here. I'm not fucking revolutionary. I don't want to make phone calls from my console. Fuck you. I don't care. Games. You know what I bought my Xbox for? To play games on it. I told Slick earlier, you know how redundant it is that my Xbox plays Netflix, plays Hulu, etc., etc. My PlayStation 3 plays Hulu, plays Netflix, etc., etc. Google TV does it, and my television does it. I got so much Netflix and Hulu coming out of my ass that I should get it medically diagnosed. Fuck out of here. Nobody gives a shit. Xbox, turn on my PlayStation 3. Come on, get out of here. And then the worst part, the worst part, oh, you need, the Kinect comes with it and it has to be mandatory. You have to put it, connect it mandatory. Do you think people are going to feel comfortable with this creepy ass camera constantly being connected to the system and possibly constantly being on since it's voice activated? It's not going to shut itself off. What happens if hackers figure out how to how to how to hack the the infrastructure of that and can look in people's houses? Nobody thinks about that shit. No, 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 we don't think about that. But instead, what we think about is, hey, look. I can watch TV. I can do that. I can I can do all kinds of shit. And I know Slick is on the line, he's going to want to talk about it. It's look, Here's, here's the thing that gets me. You got this big-ass VCR that's there. Because that's what the Xbox One is, a glorified giant VCR. If you guys remember the original Xbox, it was a giant casket of a system. It was a casket of a system. It was ginormous as fuck. Look, I understand. You want to add all these bells and whistles, but here's where it gets crazy. So, it's got a front-loading disk drive. The controller looks the same as the 360. It has some cool shit. Um, everything is activated through the Connect, voice activated. And then you get to run two programs at the same time at the same screen. So while you're playing Madden, you can take a Skype call. Let's get something straight. And this goes to all of you in the chat. If you're playing a game, how many of you guys talk on your cell phone while playing a game at the same time? 
on a regular basis. I'm not talking about once in a while. On a regular basis. I understand, you know, Dark Helmet says they will, you know? Okay, but still. Like, if I turn on my system, I just want to play games. I don't want to order a fucking pizza with the stupid pizza app. The only thing with Skype that matters is if it's replacing Xbox Live voice chat. Skype is probably going to get used the most if it becomes Xbox Live chat, which is where I see them kind of taking it. Skype being the infrastructure of the game chat. Okay, fair enough. Now, you know, they got the interactive program guide, which is pretty much an overlay on your television, which is the same thing that Google TV does Now, I have a Sony Google TV box. It has a full-on overlay over my programming. I can look up IMDB information. I can do all this other shit. You know how often I use it? Not that often. The only thing I do like to use it for is because it gives me a custom program guide for all the genres of shit I like to watch. So what I do is I create filters for kung fu movies, horror movies, Um, certain TV shows I watch, I press that guide, it pops up, it goes, hey, look, Game of Thrones is on this channel, do you want to watch it? Yes, done. Is it mandatory? Do I need it? No. Come on. Anyway, interactive program guide, you know, HBO, CBS, ESPN, blah, blah, blah. System has 8 gig RAM, USB 3.0, Wi-Fi Direct, Blu-ray, hooray, way to come to the party finally. Oh, it plays nice with smart with smart glass. Who cares? Blah, blah, fucking blah. Oh, look, FIFA's exclusive to Xbox. Big fucking snooze. Forza Motorsport 5. Hey, look, pre-rendered footage. Anybody that said that that footage was fucking in-game, you jizz bags, should be fucking drawn and quartered in the middle of a busy intersection. It was not gameplay. How do you have a revolutionary system with no fucking Bluetooth? Thank you, Slick. No Bluetooth, you assholes. You have a camera that can monitor my heartbeat, but I have to use a shitty headset that needs a dongle. Fuck you. Then you show off Quantum Break, which again is a trailer not gameplay. Oh, look, a Halo TV series exclusive on Xbox One. That's great. I'm going to turn on my console to watch an exclusive series. What is this? Netflix? Is this Hemlock Grove? Get out of here. Is this is this Arrested Development? I didn't know that Xbox was supposed to have original programming. Do we care? No. No, we don't. We don't fucking care. Oh, look, Call of Duty Ghosts. Look at the dogs. The dogs look real. Look at these fish. You can see every scale. I told Slick earlier, Sam Jackson should have done this. Look at these fish, motherfucker. Don't they look real? These fish are amazing. They might even fight a nigga or two. Mm-mm, bitch. Seriously, come on. I'm telling you right now. As soon as you shoot a dog in Call of Duty, PETA is going to crawl up Microsoft's ass and live there. Oh, look, we have dogs. Hey, look, you can run and cover. That's revolutionary. I didn't know that running and covering was revolutionary. You can do that in gears. You can run and cover in gears. 
You could run and gum. I, I I played. What the hell did I play? Um. Uh, Future Soldier recently. You could run and gun. Come on, get out of here. Oh, backwards compatibility. We ain't got time for that. It's a whole different infrastructure. So let me get this straight. New console comes out. You buy it to replace your old console, and you hope that all the games that you have don't become fucking paperweights. No, we're not going to let you do that. Now, everybody's like, oh, well, the PlayStation 4, you know, you at least PlayStation 4 has the Gaikai service. They have the Gaikai service, so you'll be able to play your PS3 shit. Sure, it doesn't have the hardware built in. Okay, but they gave us an option. They gave us something. Microsoft was like, hey, that new game that you may buy a week before the new Xbox One comes out, guess what? Keep your original Xbox, because you'll fucking need it. Give me a break with this shit. It's embarrassing. It really is embarrassing. And of course, you know, it ends with a countdown clock for E3. Now, I'm going to bring Slick on because we're going to go over some stuff. And then I'm going to share some other infinite uh, bit, bits of infinite wisdom. Here's the only thing, and I like what Dark Helmet says, that the dog will have infinite health. You want to impress me, make it that it's split screen, and I can play as either the soldier or the dog. I want to have dog vision. I want to be able to run up and bite a dude in the nuts. That's what I'm going to do. You could just It's first person from the dog's point of view. You want to revolutionize this shit? Let me do that. Let me do that shit. Split screen, me and a buddy, I'm the fucking dog. Or I'm the soldier. And I can run and sniff for landmines and attack and attack enemies and shit. Go for the jugular. Use the dog in multiplayer. For DLC, you know it's going to be like download the Rottweiler DLC pack. Download the Doberman DLC pack. Can I get the Corgi DLC pack? The Exploding Chihuahua? Maybe the Dachshund, like I shared on the fan page. How about that? Give me, give me something. But revolutionary dogs, thanks. Look at this fur. It looks so re... Get the fuck out of here. Anyway, Slick is going to join me because I know that he sat through that. I watched most of it and just skipped a lot of it because I lots of blo- we didn't see games for like the first 20 minutes we saw TV TV more TV Skype TV two shows Skype look at this giant VCR etc so let me bring slick on Mr. Slick what's up man good evening yeah it's, it's about that fucking creepy look man I you... sat there in disbelief, and, you know, I was all, all over Facebook. I was on the fan page, and I was in a couple of other groups, and I was just dumbfounded that people were like, yeah, this is the, this is the hot shit. I'm like, we are 37 minutes in, and they're showing us the, uh, the first even piece of gaming. And it's fucking EA bullshit. So 37 minutes in, we see our first game, and it's something that you can get on any other console anyway. Oh, I'm sorry, you can't get it on the Wii U because EA says they won't develop for the Wii U. Somehow, Wii U fans are not fucking going crazy over that. 
What? Oh, look. Roster update 15. Super excited. Get out of here. Now, let, let's, 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 I want to play a little give and take here for a second. With all the bells and whistles they showed, how much do you think this system is going to cost? And that's the big thing. How much do you think? Give me a number. Unless they're seriously going for a loss, and considering they didn't put Bluetooth in there, which is just utterly insane to me, I'm thinking we're looking at PS3 launch prices, at least. You think so? PS3 launch prices? I think I think 450 probably. I know, I know that's... Um, Wolf said that, and uh, Mortis also said that, you know, 450, 500. I think 450 is going to be the sweet spot because a lot of people, they hear $500 and the sticker shock is going to turn them away. 450, people think that they're getting a break on the 450 pricing. Does it sound fair? What do you think? Of course it sounds fair, but the thing is, what are they actually going to charge? Because for one thing... There was a little bit of extra stuff that aired on Spike after the the announcement. I don't know if it aired on the internet or not, but like Jeff Keeling went into Microsoft Studios and they showed like all this other bullshit talking about this and that with the controller and stuff like that. And they put individual motors on each one of the switches. I'm like, right there, that's telling me that that controller is still going to be at least $60, possibly more. And you're going to pack one of those in there. So unless the console comes out with deals, and when I say deals, I mean like with cable providers or some shit like that, I'm thinking 500 is the minimum. Okay. 500 is a fair stretch. Now, let's let's talk about the the elephant and the two elephants in the room. Number one, backwards compatibility. Obviously, backwards compatibility is a uh, is a mixed bag. Some people don't care. Some people are like, "Fuck it," you know. I got a new system, new games. I don't care. But when you're telling me that you're going to sell, an, you're going to continue selling Xbox 360 titles. Do you think you're going to really want to keep two systems? Because that's the whole thing for me. Like, I, I have a launch PlayStation 3. I And, you know, I upgraded the hard drive to, to a 500 gig hard drive. But I still play PS2 titles on it. The only reason I still own a PS2 is because it's modded. And I use it to play other games. MTR does not advocate any sort of piracy. Anyway, yeah. So, yeah, with that, with that, in, with that said... Backwards compatibility is still, it's still there. There's still a market. Now, obviously, they may turn around and start releasing all the games as games on demand and nickel and diming you to death. But for all intents and purposes, all those games that you own, if you decide to go to the next generation on, my, on, on the Microsoft side, they're glorified paperweights unless you keep your 360. And you're going to turn them all into GameStop exactly. and they're going to offer you a dollar. And not everybody is like myself where they have two televisions in the home that they have their own access to. They might have more TVs, but they might only have, you know, gaming access to one television in the house. So 
you know, how many TVs can you really, how many consoles can you really hook up to one TV? Because most TVs, if you're lucky, have two HDMI inputs. Some have three, and very few have four. Yep. So you got your 360 and your PS3 if you have both of those. If you have one of those, you're probably going to a PS4 or an Xbox One. So like, and then you have your cable, which connects by HDMI. So how many things can you really connect to that one TV? Yep, HDMI switches out the ass, ladies and gentlemen. I'm like, I also have a launch PS3, which people don't seem to... That, that's the thing people don't really seem to get, is why I jumped on it myself. Not only does it play PS2 games, it plays PS1 games. There you have PlayStation it. PlayStation 3 plays all PlayStation games up to PS3. Yep. If you got a launch model. There you go. And the new ones do not. That's what I... Check out that hardware. When you guys... dropped the price and made it smaller. When you guys go to our YouTube channel, all those Blast from the Past videos with any PlayStation 2 titles are being played on the PlayStation 3. So... I'm just I'm just saying, you know, and for those of you that aren't following us on YouTube, it's uh, youtube.com forward slash my take radio TV or look for us on Twitch. It's it's true. It's the, the crazy thing with that is that PlayStation, they came out of the gate with just a controller, but they made sure to be ready to answer the questions that people they were going to ask. Hey, backwards compatible. Yeah, we got you guys. Guy Kai, get ready. May not be ready at launch, but we are thinking of you guys. Does it play used games? Yup. Got you covered there, too. You see what I'm saying? And that's, that's the real thing why I'm puzzled. Microsoft. That people, are going, that go people are going crazy over the Xbox One and in turn shitting on the PS4 just because they didn't show them a plastic case. Because honestly, I'm going to fuck what you say. That box is a plastic case. Yep. All it is is a housing for hardware. Yep. Doesn't matter. You look at your 360 or your PS3 or your PS2, your PS, or any fucking console you have. That outer casing is a plastic fucking box to hold in what's inside. It's what's inside that fucking counts. Who gives a fuck if you don't show me a plastic case or not? And I'm saying that over and over again. The reason why there is no backwards compatibility in the PS, in the sorry, in the Xbox One is twofold. One, because apparently Xbox is not listening to their core demographic anymore, which is the hardcore gamer. And two, because the hardcore gamer, that core demographic, collectively said, we don't give a shit about backwards compatibility. And when did they say that? When the PlayStation 3 first came out and it was $600 fucking dollars. They basically said, why the fuck is this thing $600? And so his answer, one of the answers, of many answers, there was the Blu-ray player and there was the fact that they had to put PS2 hardware in there to make it backwards compatible for PS2 and PS1 games. And they said, we don't give a fuck about backwards compatibility, lower the price. So what did they do? They, they lowered the took price. Out the fucking PS2 components, and they lowered the price. But here's the beauty of that: you still can play PS2 games. You just got to buy them online. 
If you are, if you got rid of your games, here's the thing too. If you sold your old games to make room for next gen, and you feel like getting a, an old game, you can buy it for the PS2 or the PS1. That's just that's just how it is. Xbox was just what 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 killed me was the fact that they just dismissed it completely. They were just like, uh, no, we don't care. You're gonna keep two consoles. The other elephant in the room being used games. According to Xbox, to Microsoft's logic, you're going to get a game, you're going to install it on your system. That game is tied to your ID. You can't buy the game, you can't sell it, whatever, because that person, if they're going to want to play it, is going to have to pay the extra money. So... You know, they're saying, oh, well, that's because the developers want to make money on used titles. Here's here's the thing with, with developers, used titles, and, and any of that. When you buy a game, and you once you purchase that game, it's yours. Plain and simple. If you buy it used, and the developer wants to make a little money, okay, I understand that as well, but... What kills me is the fact that the game is yours, and if you lend it to a friend, like, hey, Slick, I got this new game, come check it out. You can't even fucking play it. The only way that you can play the game on your console is if I'm in your house and I log in with my ID. Are you kidding me? That's the most irksome shit that, that, that I've heard. That it's like, oh, yeah, 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 you know, you can play the games, but, you know, you have to be logged into the console. What? Like, get well, out of here. Why that happened, too. Man. I mean, and the, the, the Xbox announcement. And before I even continue, I mean, I, I sound like I'm completely shitting on the Xbox. I'm not. Because what they showed was was absolutely fantastic. The problem is, is that it's not fantastic for me, because all that shit they showed, I'm perfectly capable of doing right now. So you didn't show me any games, which is the only thing that I wanted to see. That's why I have the attitude that I have about the Xbox One. And with that said, the, um, what do you call it? 37 minutes into the one-hour presentation, you see the first games of the system. And what is it? EA. They're in bed with EA, who are notorious for being the biggest fuck-you-as-the-consumer company out there. Yep. Trying to milk every fucking penny they possibly can out of you. They're clearly in bed with EA. EA apparently had some kind of hand in the development of the console because why else would you do this shit? Because, honestly, that extra money, I'm like, that money's not going to Microsoft. It's going to go to whatever company made that game if you're, you're using a second-hand game and you got to pay for it. And the stupidest part about Microsoft getting in bed with EA is... Everything that they showed at that on Tuesday is gonna be on the other consoles anyway. Well, here's here's a except the Wii U, which again I don't think Wii U owners are losing sleep over it. 
This is true. Well, here's here's a couple of here's a couple of things that I gotta bring up. People people are 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 fighting tooth and nail about all these things about Xbox, and I gotta I gotta say a few things, and of course you're welcome to interject. Number one, I don't hate the Xbox One. You want to know why? Because I'm happy to see competition. Because you want to know what competition leads to? Better fucking games. What I don't like about the Xbox One is the fact that they're putting gaming second and entertainment first. Why? Because you can sign licensing deals with networks and you can advertise on apps and you can advertise underneath during Skype calls, etc., etc., etc. I understand that. But you know what? When you put gaming on the back burner for the sake of every other sort of ancillary entertainment, you know what you end up doing? You alienate the people that are going to give you your money. And those are the gamers. Like I said, nobody wants a, a box that does the same thing as three other boxes do. It's just it just doesn't make logical sense. The other thing is, you know, let's let's talk about the fact use games. Use games got became a problem when people let GameStop get too fucking big. When developers saw that GameStop's numbers were bigger than their bottom line margins, that's when used games became a debate. But that's because people were satisfied selling their games to GameStop that they paid $60 for and getting $3 for them. Because they just wanted the games out of their face. We created that problem. We did. Because we don't want to do legwork and try other entities. Amazon, Craigslist, eBay. No, we'll go to GameStop because it's the easy way out. And because we know that if we're going to buy more games, they're going to give us more on credit. Which again, GameStop comes out winning because that game they gave you $10 for, that's two weeks old, they're going to sell it for $54.99. And some asshole is going to go and buy it. Even though it's $5 cheaper. We created that shit. That's our fucking fault. Same thing with DLC. We, everybody that could, that bitches about DLC and getting nickel and dimed about DLC, it's like I said to you when we spoke earlier. If I said to anybody in this chat room, hey, would you pay $100 for a game or $80 for a game? I can guarantee you everybody in that chat room would say, fuck no, I wouldn't pay for that. And, and I'd say, okay, but guess what? That game that you just bought for $65, it's going to get a $10 map pack or a $20 map pack. Guess what happens? That game is now an $85 game. Congratulations. We're creating this shit. We're creating the culture of incomplete games. That's our fault because nobody turns around and goes, fuck you, I'm not paying you for that. A $49 season pass for Call of Duty. Think of that. It becomes a $110 investment. Nobody's going to play the game that long to make their $110. No one. It's impossible. And it's like I said to you earlier, that's the only reason why Call of Duty, Modern Warfare 3, made a billion dollars. That's right. They did not make a billion dollars at a $60 price point. Nope. They made a billion dollars because motherfuckers have spent in excess of $100 on that game because they're buying map packs. There you go. But that, but Sell your map packs up your ass. And here's the, here's the problem. 
all of you that are complain, you know, the the complaints about uh, about used games and and you know playing your games at your friend's house, et cetera, et cetera. Here's what's gonna happen: the bitching will continue, and what they'll do is they'll say, "Well, we're gonna charge you seventy sixty nine ninety nine for a game instead of fifty nine ninety nine, and what that'll allow you to do." is play the game on three machines. The same way, you know, you can install Windows on, on five machines or three machines. We're just going to let you do that. And people are going to be like, oh, yeah, oh, great. The, the Norton bullshit. Yeah, the Norton, the Norton problem. Here's the problem that, that I see with that, too. Much like when you buy an OEM version of a game, you know, of, of an operating system, you got the one install. Games are going to start becoming that shit as well. Because we don't stand up and say, you know, we'll, we'll become unified to complain about the most mundane shit on the planet. But when we are basically being forced, the giant Xbox dick, down our throats, people are legitimately receiving it with an open mouth. It's embarrassing to me as a gamer. It's embarrassing that I have to put my entertainment first before my enjoyment of a game. I don't care about a TV guide. I don't care about Skype. Is unless it's replacing, you know, Xbox chat. Don't care. I don't care about an overlay on my television. Don't give a shit. I don't care that I can watch the original Halo TV series on my console. Don't give a shit about that either. Like I said, redundancy. Coupled with the fact that there's no Bluetooth. Coupled with the fact that we are in next gen and you can't even put a Bluetooth radio in there. On every fucking cell phone on the planet that comes out this year, and probably as early as last year, has Bluetooth in it, except for like even the fucking the free cell phones for old people have that shit. Here, here's what I because think: they want to make them work with like headsets, so motherfuckers don't talk on the phone while they're driving. Every I... fucking phone has Bluetooth. And this revolutionary fucking entertainment center doesn't have Bluetooth? There you go. Well, here's here here's where Microsoft dropped the ball, and I'm going to give you a couple of, of nuggets, and you'll tell me if you agree or disagree. Number one, within the last 24 hours, that system has been pretty much shit on, clowned, and obliterated, whether it's calling it a giant VCR, a litany of bad press, you know, Sony getting a 10% increase on their stock, after the announcement, here, here's what, what Microsoft didn't expect. They went into this presentation thinking that people weren't going to ask tough questions. That's the, that was their first mistake. They thought that people weren't going to ask them about, you know, those important things like backwards compatibility and, you know, things like that. The only, the only thing that came out of that that was of worth, of worthwhile is that, your gamer tag and your achievements can come over, but the games and all that shit that you bought on Xbox Live can't. So your gamer tag will live with you forever. All that shit you bought, all that money you spent on Xbox Live, eh, not so much. That's what came out of that. Because Xbox, Microsoft felt that they could just beat people over the head and throw hardware in our face. Here, look, all this all this fancy hardware that does fancy things. Look, dogs. It's like, answer the questions. And then, you know, they started going into damage control when people started calling them out on their shit. 
Oh, we're going to offer a used game trading system. Really? We're going to offer a trading system for games? Yeah, you want to put GameStop out of business. Thanks. Good for you guys. I'm happy that you wanted to do that. You know? But these are the things that they're trying to do. They're backpedaling. As soon as people started talking about playing used games, they're like, oh, well, we're going to have a used game trading system. It's going to be fantastic. <laughs> it's going to be amazing. It's going to be revolutionary that, you know, you'll be able to trade games with your friends. Really? We're going to trade games. Hey, Slick, I want to trade Chicken Shoot for Call of Duty. What do you think? Click? Slick? Slick, are you there? <laughs> Slick? Slick! That, that's, what, that's what's going to happen. Hey, I'll trade you Madden from last year for the new Halo. Click. Fuck out of here. It's not... No. People that are going to do that, they might do it with friends, but it's not... The problem is that Microsoft and Sony don't want to outright say that they want to kill GameStop. This is where it stems from. They want GameStop dead. The only way you're going to kill GameStop is by pricing games competitively enough that people can feel entitled to still sell them and make decent money. No, here's the stupid shit. And I said this on a previous episode. Here's how you kill GameStop. Don't go there. At least with, with your... What happened? Don't shop there. I don't. I don't either. And I told you I'm pissed about that because we, we dropped an article today about Grand Theft Auto Five. There's three editions. There's just a game. There's a special edition that has a map and some downloadable, downloadable content. And then there's a collective edition, which has a buttload of shit with it. And guess where, guess where the only place you can get that collective edition? Oh, GameStop, because they paid a shitload of money. And the same shit with the, the Last of Us, which comes out in a couple of weeks. The Sony exclusive. The post-pandemic edition which has a freaking statue and all kinds of other shit, guess where's the only fucking place you can get that game? GameStop. There you go. The place I don't ever shop at. The place I don't even go to. There's a GameStop... Walk, I can walk to GameStop from my house in five minutes. If I want to go to Best Buy or any place else, I got to drive several miles. And I still never go to GameStop. It's a it's a it's a the crazy. Every time I go to GameStop is if they're giving out a free Pokemon, and guess what I do? I stand outside and I fucking download it. Oh, there you go. Well, this here's here's the thing. Besides all of these things, like I said, the the big concern of people having a high resolution webcam that's always on is gonna be a problem. It's hard to dismiss that you will have an always on webcam in your home. It's it's impossible, and, and the other the other thing. Thank you. And the other thing that nobody thinks about: what happens when you are a GameFly customer? What's going to happen to you? Because you're not going to be a, you're not going to rent games and then pay the stupid fee to play your rental. That's what you pay GameFly for. Is you know this this is is this the end of the rental market as we know it? Because that's the other thing. 
What do you are you gonna give GameFly special discs that are gonna be rental only that you'll be able to rent out? I don't think the companies are gonna want to cut their own throat by doing that shit. And this is the biggest load of bullshit because these companies, these the you know Sony and Microsoft, and even Nintendo, if they wanted to, if they really wanted to kill GameStop and GameFly, they could have did that shit before these consoles were even announced. Yep. And here's how. Because, and I want the people in the chat to really listen to this. You walk into a store, you pay $60 for, I don't know, let's say Grand Theft Auto 4. And you come home and you, you turn on your PS3 or your 360, and what's the first thing you see on your, your, your um, startup screen? Oh, brand new, Grand Theft Auto 4. You right. can download it right now. Download it, meaning no disc, yep. no packaging, no instruction manual, and it's still $60. Yep, I don't understand Why the logic in that. am I still paying $60 for no physical media, no packaging, no nothing, which obviously do, that does play into the price of the game. So you're undercutting your cost right now with a, a direct distribution. But I still got to pay full price. Right. If you would cut that by even the $5 that GameStop charges for their used bullshit, you give people a reason not to go to GameStop. That's right. That's exactly right. But the the thing is that they're not going to do that. And Microsoft, like I said, they just weren't prepared. They were prepared to wow us with a system. They weren't prepared to answer the necessary questions that would allay people's fears. Like when I ask an executive, hey, man, but do you think people are going to be comfortable with the Kinect being on full time? They should be like, oh, well, we're going to give you a thing that you can snap over the front to cover the lens. It'll still be able to hear your voice, but it won't be able to see you until you remove it. Okay, question it answered. You know, it's not the coolest thing, but it, it allays your fears. You see what I'm saying? When when you say, oh, do you guys offer backwards compatibility? No, we don't. But you're going to be allowed to buy those games on off the cloud, off Xbox Live, much like you do now. And you'll be able to play them on your system because they'll be they'll be streamed or, or powered by the cloud. All right. Awesome. No, we don't do that. No, we're just not going to, you know, we just have architecture that's brand new. Fuck backwards compatibility. But we're still going to sell both systems on the shelf. Wolf has a point. It is still wiretapping. He's, you're right. But I'm just saying that at least if you answer the question that if I have my console, you know, if I have my, put it like this. I'm a, I'm a college guy. I got my console in my living room. Just had a party. Everybody left. Drunk chick decides that, you know, she wants to check my colon with her tongue. Um, The camera is going to be staring at me. In the back of my mind, I may wonder, hey, is this thing on? You have to, you have to. Yes, it is. Thank you. And you have to ease those fears. Don't get me wrong. If you say, hey, you know, you can cover the lens or something. But 
that 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 is very 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 concerning and not too many people are talking about it because they're too busy worrying about all this other shit it's like hi you have this giant webcam on all the time like i have my connect connected to my xbox my xbox is off you know the connect is off you know it's off you know it but on this new system to use all that voice activated stuff because you know you want to continue to perpetuate fucking laziness that's what that is laziness when i can order a fucking pizza on my console and turn it and turn it on with with my voice clearly clearly you're perpetuating that you want america to be fat pieces of shit i'm sorry i don't mind getting up and hitting the off button on the contrary i use a logitech harmony remote you know what's what it's connected to? My Xbox. So when I click off, everything shuts off. I don't even have to get up. It's embarrassing. It's embarrassing that a company full of multi-million dollar talent can't answer the most basic of questions without inserting foot in fucking mouth. I don't get it either. It's like you take what 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 Microsoft did right with the 360. The reason why they stayed above PlayStation for so long because as of right now, it, they're basically neck and neck with install base. There's like 77 million of each console in homes across the world, and you say, well, we did this, this, and this right, aside from the fact that we came out a year earlier. It's it's like we, we made, a, we, we had a focus on games because it's a game console. We had, we had this media player which failed. Yep. But then we brought out this, this camera thing that did really well. But at the same time, the hardcore gamers didn't really care about it because it didn't do shit for hardcore games. Except maybe Mass Effect. And what are we going to do now? TV. Well, here's here's the funny Wait, thing. what? Exactly. Well, think about this too, Slick. Sony came out of the gate. And they and they and they sold us on the PS3 as a home entertainment system first. What did that do for them? Donuts. So when they came back with the PlayStation 4, they said, "Hey, guess what? Games front and center. Games front and center." Said, and people, let's listen to the people that are gonna fucking buy this shit the day that it comes out. What yep. do they want? Games. They want games. Thank you. Okay, here's a shitload of games. And no, we don't have a console. What we have is a motherfucker sitting right in front of you right now playing the game. Yep. This is what the game looks like in motion. And the few times that they didn't do that when they did a bullshit trailer, even I, the guy who is saying right now on live radio that I will buy a PS4 on launch 
and not an Xbox One because they showed gameplay and the Xbox didn't, the guy who Rich has said many times is a huge fan of the game Infamous shit on the game Infamous Second Son because they showed me a fucking trailer and tried to push it off as gameplay. Yep. Show me some gameplay and then I'll be more happy about that game. I agree a thousand percent. Show me some fucking gameplay on any freaking Xbox title because honestly, with the exception of announcing for them, you didn't show any quote-unquote Xbox games. All the games you showed were multi-platform titles. And they have this whole shit where they say they're going to be 15 Xbox exclusive titles within the, the, the first year of launch, and eight of them are going to be brand-new IPs. I ask this question. How many of them are going to be derivatives? Because let's look at the big exclusives that the 360 has. You have Forza. Okay. Fantastic racing game. Not trying to take anything away from that. You have Halo. Okay. Cool story. It's an FPS with multiplayer. And you have Gears of War. Okay, cool story, and it's an FPS with multiplayer. Pretty much. So if you really think about it, you got two fucking games that are exclusive to Xbox because Halo and Gears of War are the same shit. Yes, sir. And again, I'm not trying to take anything away from it. Any fans of the game, don't kill me. But look at what you do in these games. They are both both first-person shooters, and primarily the fans care about the multiplayer. Because once again, you got a bunch of fucking map packs. Very true. You preach the truth. When Halo 4 came out, the cool GameStop commercial featured what? Halo. The Arctic Armor skin for multiplayer. Right. Didn't show a piece of gameplay. Matter of fact, does Halo ever really show actual gameplay on their commercials? No, they show you the multiplayer. Or they show you the cutscenes. Right. Very, very true. But then you look at Sony, and I'm not I'm not trying to do Sony versus Microsoft right here. I'm just saying I'm, I'm addressing the Xbox issue of what are these these exclusives going to be right now. You look at what Sony has right now. You have God of War. You have Infamous. You have Uncharted. You have <clears throat> excuse me. You have um, The Last of Us coming. You got a, a games that I'm not even remembering the names of because I didn't personally play. You got Heavy Rain. So you have two different style of third-person type games, which are God of War and Uncharted. And then The Last of Us, you have a survival horror. Gran Turismo, you have racing. 
Heavy Rain, you have an RPG-style story. That's like four or five different genres. And I'm not even talking about everything that Sony has because you also have your PSN games. That's right. you got games like Journey, which I can't even really classify what the fuck that is other than a really cool game. I agree. And it's like, okay, so Microsoft, I'm saying this as, as somebody who purchased a 360. Granted, I got it late, just like I got the first Xbox late. I'm saying this as somebody who would like to be excited enough to say, I need to get this at launch. At E3, you need to blow my fucking mind. I agree. And I'm not talking about showing me what exclusive content you're going to have with, with Watch Dogs or with the EA bullshit or fucking Call of Duty Ghosts. I'm talking about Xbox exclusive games. You need to blow my mind with those IPs. I want to see if they're going to do. I want to see if they're going to do what they're saying, which is break out the killer instinct. And it's like, to me, and you know me, I love killer instinct. I love the first two. But at this point, it's like too little, too late. Yep. As far as fighting games, I'm waiting on Guilty Gear XRD because. It's like, that shit looks like an anime, you know, going at it. So, again, you have to really blow my mind to say Killer Instinct is a fighting game that I need to have in my house when it comes out. There you have it. If we even make it. Because the problem is, Killer Instinct is a rare IP. Right. And rare came out the gate as one of the greatest companies to make games in the 90s. And, you know, like the early 2000 era. And then Microsoft bought them because they weren't doing shit for Nintendo. And they have done less than shit for Microsoft because they haven't made one standout game for Microsoft. This is true. They've made several games, and it's like, can you even, do you even know anybody who's played the Perfect Dark game or that Banjo-Kazooie game? Nope. Not offhand. I know I played them briefly, but that was it. So it's like, if you make, if they make a Killer Instinct game, the question's not going to be, will it look good? Because you know it'll look good, but will it be good? That's right. And will these 15 games with eight new IPs, how many of those will be good? Because it doesn't matter what console you're talking about. You take 10 games. How many of them are good, generally? If you're lucky, five of them. If you're lucky. That's right. So you got 15 IPs coming out, eight of them brand new. 
let's say that the good part lies in the new IPs. So you got eight games. How many of those are going to be good? Maybe yeah. four? I agree. So within the first year games, you'll be lucky to have four of them be good. It's true. To quote Jay-Z, we don't believe you. You need more people. Right. A a fitting quote to use. (laughs) Oh, it's going to be a long road to E3. Unless you do work, a lot of fucking work. Here's another quote from Jay-Z. Your system will be late. (laughs) There you go. Well, we got we got about a month to go, and we shall find out if if they can backpedal and clean up the mess they created for themselves. And I will be very happy if they do clean it up. I agree. I will come on air and say, like, hey, I done fucked up. They stepped their game up. But until then, I am a fan of competition. I'll, just, I'll be happy to be right. wrong. No, but that's what I mean. But... I like the fact that I have a 360... And a PS3 in my house right now, and a Wii U. <laughs> and I can pick and choose. There you go. But the way things are looking right now, I will only be buying PS4 games and 360 games and PS3 games. That's it. All right. Oh, like I said, we shall uh, we shall see what the deal is. For those of you listening via Blog Talk Radio, the stream on Blog Talk Radio will end at 2 a.m. Eastern. That is approximately four minutes, but you can still listen live via Mixler and use the chat on MyTakeRadio.com. Just make sure to click the Listen tab for that. Anything else you want to add, my friend? I'm good right now, man. All right, cool. I will catch you later. All right, peace. Peace. Slick made a lot of valid points, and much like him, I I share the frustrations. We'll see what happens in E3. Like I said, I don't hate the Xbox One. I just hate what they're trying to do with it, and I'm also not a fan of the consumer being shafted. But I am a fan of competition because I know that there will be much to offer for the gaming community from a competition standpoint. The last bit of news, which I'm sure will make Quark happy, maybe Quark will save up some money and buy this. The Kingdoms of Amalur IP is on sale, courtesy of the state of Rhode Island. According to the Providence Journal, the um, the company is auctioning off, you know, after taking over and auctioning off 38 studios, they are reporting that the company... 90 seconds. See, there goes the English lady. Um, the company's interested in purchasing and in selling the IP. But there seems to be a company on the market that wants to take it, so we'll see what the deal is with that. Um, right now, the sale of 38 Studios' physical assets have brought the state $830,000. Anyway, that's going to wrap up the gaming segment for this week. For those of you listening on Blog Talk Radio, the feed will be ending in approximately two minutes. You can switch over... 60 seconds. Correction, one minute. You can switch over to the Mixler feed, mixler.com forward slash radio. And you can also listen to it by heading over to MyTakeRadio.com, clicking the Listen tab, and there is a Mixler player on the site, plus a chat room in progress as well. 
Otherwise, if you're listening via Blog Talk Radio, the archive will be up later today on iTunes and we'll be updating the, the episode on Blog Talk Radio. All right, guys, that's going to wrap up the gaming segment. We have a lot to discuss on the entertainment side of things, so let's get right to it. Ten seconds. I really got to find a way to mute that English lady or make it that her audio doesn't come out for you guys to hear. I mean, it doesn't matter because those of you that are listening know that there's 10 seconds left on the blog talk radio feed, but it's a little frustrating. Maybe I'll work out that bug in the coming days. All right, so... We're going to start off this week's entertainment news by talking about the Zombieland TV series that was supposed to be debuting on Amazon. A couple of people got to check out the pilot, myself included, and I thought it was complete shit. Shock till you drop reports that Amazon has opted out of picking up the Zombieland TV series. Um, customers that viewed the pilot voiced their feedback, myself included, and it did not do well enough to convince Amazon to continue the concept. So there you have it. The concept of Zombieland, dead in the water after one episode. Iron Man 3 is in our entertainment news this week for reaching the $1 billion box office milestone. It achieved that milestone in 23 days. It is the sixth Walt Disney Studios release to reach this milestone, joining Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Man's Chest, Alice in Wonderland, Toy Story 3, Pirates of the Caribbean on Stranger Ties, and The Avengers. The film has earned $301 million at the domestic box office and $698 million overseas. Thanks for tuning in, Wolf. I see Wolf is uh, leaving us for the evening. So with that said, here's the, here's the funny thing that I want to bring to you to everyone's attention. Iron Man in the Marvel Universe is a cool character. Is he the greatest character? Absolutely not. But to think that Iron Man has generated a billion dollars... On, on a third sequel, mind you, is definitely eye-opening, and I'm sure will be something that Robert Downey Jr. will, lever- will leverage excuse me, quite a bit to get more money for his castmates as well as for himself for Avengers and Iron Man sequels. It's definitely a very interesting turn of events when a guy, when a character that's really not the most well-known of the Marvel Universe is the one that's making them the, the most money. That's not to say that Spider-Man isn't, but um, the fact remains that Iron Man 3 is, you know, billion-dollar franchise. So there you have it. Congrats to good old Robert Downey Jr. and the crew at Marvel for another billion-dollar film. Speaking of Marvel, of course, you know that a couple of weeks back we talked about the possibility of Michael B. Jordan playing Johnny Storm in Trank's Fantastic Four reboot. Anyway, he got interviewed by the... Um, Huffington Post, and he said that he hasn't signed on to it. He went on to say, that's not real. Everyone knows that myself and Josh Trank were good friends. If something that happened, you know, if that's something that was bound to happen, I would be ecstatic. I'd love to be part of it. He, of course, you know, answered the criticism of an African-American playing a Caucasian role, saying things change and time goes on. It's 2013 right now. The characteristics of the Human Torch are his name is Johnny Storm, he's charismatic, charismatic, excuse me, and he's a playboy. That's it. You know what I'm saying? That's all there is. I unfortunately have to disagree. Here's the problem with that. 
I have no qualms about Johnny Storm being African American in Fantastic Four. If it was something, a concept that was changed in the books to make people feel comfortable. Because when Nick Fury was African American in Ultimates, it was fine because it's the Ultimates universe, it's a different universe, and it's a different spin on the character. When you cast Michael Clark Duncan as the Kingpin and he was black instead of white, sure, some people complain, but seriously, where were you going to find uh, um, a, a Caucasian individual that was that big that could have that type of screen presence opposite Ben Affleck? Honestly, there weren't any. These are the facts. Now, in terms of Human Torch being African-American, okay, you want to do that. But if you're going to do that, then you have to make Susan Storm African-American because they're brother and sister. If you're going to make her Caucasian and him African-American, what are you going to do? Say that she, that Johnny Storm is her stepbrother or some other lame old garbage that you're going to try and, and pass off as being, you know, canon? I just don't think it'll work. If you want to do something different, Make Ben Grimm African-American. I think it would work. I think Ben Grimm being African-American and seeing him prior to that and then he becomes the thing is fine. I have no problem with that. But to blatantly change the human torch just because you want to cast your buddy in the movie, it's a little, it's a little, it's a little weird. It's a little weird. And and again, this has nothing to do with race. This just has to do with the fact that there's no established canon where you can make Human Torch African-American. I mean, if you want to do that, then you have to change the Fantastic Four completely, and that I can understand, but you're not going to do that. I'm sorry. I just, I can't deal with it. And he's like, yeah, you know, things change, it's 2013. Yeah, things change, and it's 2013, but it just doesn't make it feasible. It just doesn't look right. I'm sorry, it doesn't. I disagree. In some sequel news, we know that Red is getting its second sequel in theaters probably within the next couple of weeks. Well, check this out. It looks like Red is getting a third sequel without us even seeing a a second one. Red 2 is going to be in theaters July 19th, which, you know, I'd say is about, you know, six weeks, maybe six to eight weeks. And you guys are already working on a third one. Don't get me wrong. I like the first Red film. I thought it was really good. I like Bruce Willis's work there. He worked really well with his cast. Helen Mirren was amazing in that. Is it worth a trilogy? That's that's up in the air. I mean, we'll see how the second one does, but they're they're cool movies, but they're so under the radar, and they are comic book movies. It, it, it is a comic book movie that you're just having fun with it because it's a cast of old guys blowing shit up, similar to the Lethal Weapon franchise. Same thing. I don't think it's the worst idea in the world, but, you know, if they only did two films, I could live with that. Jackie Chan has officially been, uh, has officially confirmed that he has been approached to do The Expendables, but he stated he hasn't read a script yet. He said he's going to look to meet with Stallone in person, and he would like to do something where he has a big part. He knows that The Expendables is all about the small parts, but he says he'd like a big part. He'd like a big part with Stallone. Um... Honestly, I think Jackie Chan being in The Expendables would be cool. I think he has to be a good guy in that. I think a Jackie Chan bad guy would just be weird. And um, Stallone also tweeted that he's been speaking to Steven Seagal as well. 
So we may actually see Steven Seagal in the next Expendables also, along with Wesley Snipes and a returning Mickey Rourke. It's going to be very interesting, to say the least, to be able to give all these guys screen time. I will say this. I'd make Steven Seagal a bad guy, and um, Wesley Snipes should be his right-hand man, just because, you know, you have Terry Crews as as one of the good guys, and, and using Wesley Snipes, you just, Terry Crews is going to take a back seat, and I think Terry Crews is extremely underrated in the Expendables film, so I'd really want to see him continue to be one of the better parts of the movies. I mean, Snipes is Snipes, but come on, Cruz is is definitely stepped his game up from Expendables 1 and 2. So, again, Steven Seagal, Jackie Chan, hearing these guys in the movies, it's cool, but we'll see how it pans out. On the box office front, of course, it's a no-brainer that Star Trek Into Darkness was number one, making $70.6 million, $84.1 million total. Iron Man 3 was number 2 with $35 million. The Great Gatsby was number 3. Pain and Gain was number 4. The Croods was number 5. 42 was number 6. Oblivion was 7. Mud was 8. Tyler Perry Presents Peoples was number 9. And The Big Wedding was 10. Now, if you're curious about our thoughts about Star Trek Into Darkness, make sure to check out Slick's review on MyTakeRadio.com. Star Wars is also in the news this week as Lucasfilm announced that they will be doing a new animated series called Star Wars Rebels. That will be taking place after the end of the Clone Wars. It'll be debuting in the fall of 2014 on Disney Channel and Disney XD. And it looks to bridge the gap between Episode 3 and Episode 4. So there you have it. I think that the Star Wars Clone Wars series was extremely enjoyable. I liked it. I mean, I actually had some of the DVD box sets and watch those once, you know, more than once because they were extremely enjoyable. I'm curious to see how they plan on filling in that gap and what characters are going to be introduced in Star Wars Rebels that we may see in the next set of sequels. Like I said, it takes place between episode three and four, and it's going to have, you know, two decades that have never been explored, and it's going to take place, you know, as the Empire starts securing its grip on the galaxy and starts hunting down the last Jedi Knights. So. Very, very interesting to say the least. And like I said, how this fares for the other films remains to be seen. So I got to talk about a couple of remakes that kind of been ruffling my feathers. Uh, Number one is that Deadline is reporting that they're going to do a remake of Park Chan-wook's Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance, which is part of the Vengeance trilogy. I am a huge fan of the original Vengeance movies. They're extremely enjoyable um, the film is about two guys that are on a, you know, trying to get revenge, hence, you know, sympathy for Mr. Vengeance. Other films in that trilogy are, of course, Old Boy and Lady Vengeance. The remake for Old Boy will be out in October from Film District. You know, Spike Lee is directing it. Sam Jackson, Josh Rowland, Josh Brolin, excuse me, and Charlotte Copley are going to be in that. Then, of course, you have Mr. Vengeance, you know, sympathy for Mr. Vengeance and Lady Vengeance. I mean... I understand you want to do the remakes and you want to kind of do that, but I'm not really a fan of taking these these great films and remaking them so quickly because not for nothing, what if Old Boy comes out and it completely sucks? Are you going to invest more money and remaking another film and risk it being garbage as well? Eh, you know, it's something definitely that, that is worth discussing. The other remake, which I thought was going to be a remake and now turns out to be a sequel, is Poltergeist. 
It turns out that this Poltergeist remake is going to be set in the same universe as the original and is going to focus on a new family. Gil Keenan will be directing it and Sam Raimi will produce it. So there you go. Poltergeist will be back in theaters. Very, very interesting. Now, this particular bit of news is going to ruffle quite a bit of feathers. Of course, our very own Slick was extremely upset about it and it involves Transformers 4. Joe Blow reports that we will be seeing new Autobots and Decepticons in Transformers 4. That that being said, it's been rumored that the Autobots we'll be seeing, of course, are the Dinobots, including Grimlock. And one of the villains we'll be seeing on the Decepticon side is Lockdown, which if you've seen um, Transformers the Animated Series, the not the Transformers Prime, but the one before that, Lockdown was one of the characters there. And basically, the premise is that he's going to have a ship full of of decommissioned Transformers. Yeah, he is neutral in the series, but it looks like they want to have him as a Decepticon. We'll see if that still applies, but to to quote Slick, that is true. Lockdown is kind of a neutral character. Um, the way it looks is he's going to have a ship full of decommissioned Transformers, including the Autobots, which are going to, I mean, excuse me, the Autobots, the Dinobots, that are going to be brought to life by a captured Optimus Prime. We're going to see Grimlock. We're going to see uh, Swoop. Hound is also going to be used, and they're going to introduce a samurai Decepticon that wants to regain his his honor and become an Autobot. Very interesting. Also, it's rumored that Megatron will be tr- will return as Galvatron, and they're going to try and get Leonard Nimoy to voice Galvatron in the movie. Plus, we may also be seeing Unicron, which not for nothing. It, with the fact that Michael Bay likes to blow shit up, I'm sure he's chomping at the bit to blow up Unicron in space and make a an epic Death Star level explosion. But we'll see what happens. Transformers 4 will be in theaters June 27th, 2014. Of course, Mark Wahlberg's in there. Kelsey Grammer will be a villainous human who's going to be kind of like one of the main characters on the villain side. I almost feel like he may be playing Silas or borrowing from Silas from the uh, Transformers Prime series. Again, that's my opinion. Don't quote me on it. But we'll see what happens June 27th, 2014. I'm actually pumped to see some Dinobots. Not cool with the fact that Optimus Prime is going to go ride into battle on Grimlock and Bumblebee will ride into battle on a Pteranodon, which presumably will be Swoop. Not a fan of that shit, but Michael Bay, what can you expect? Anyway, as I mentioned in the gaming segment, you know, they're going to be doing um, a Halo TV series with Steven Spielberg and 343 Industries. It's going to be live action, and it will be exclusive on the Xbox One. Obviously, no premiere date was announced for the project or a cast, but it's going to be some original programming on the Xbox One side of things. Again, don't really give a shit, but we'll see what happens. The Hollywood Reporter gave me some interesting news with another reboot that really is unnecessary, and that is a reboot of Time Cop. For those of you unfamiliar with Time Cop, Time Cop originally was a Dark Horse comic, which was made into a film starring Jean-Claude Van Damme in 1994. It was also a TV series on ABC in 1997. They did a direct-to-video sequel, which was Time Cop 2, The Berlin Decision, in 2003. Well, it looks like we will be seeing Time Cop once again as it gets the reboot treatment, much like RoboCop and some of the other films as well. Now, 
the last two bits of news I wanted to discuss are very interesting. Ain't it cool news reported that Sony Pictures' Amy Pascal denied that Sony Pictures would be letting go of the film rights to Spider-Man. Pascal originally said, she said, and I quote, never, ever, ever would we let go of the rights to Spider-Man. But it seems that according to a report from the Register, Kaz Harai told reporters from the Financial Times, Reuters, that the company and, and routers that the company's board was discussing a plan to sell off a portion of its entertainment business, as suggested last you know last week by um, Third Point Hedge Fund. It seems that the ailing you know Japanese company is looking to spin off fifteen to twenty percent of its film and music division in a public offering to raise money. For its electronics and turn the entertainment business into a separately listed firm. All signs point to them selling the film rights to Resident Evil and Spider-Man in order to make the, you know, bring in some money for the company, which of course currently is fiscally challenged based on some of the losses they've exhibited. Now, Amy Pascal, you know, she's been denying it. You know, she's obviously the boss of Sony Pictures, but I will say this. If Marvel was smart, they would use this opportunity and bring Spider-Man back in-house. Because, obviously, you can use Spider-Man in the the Avengers and use him throughout the Marvel Universe as you see fit. One of the biggest issues that we've been dealing with with Spider-Man and the X-Men is that they belong to other studios currently. Spider-Man, of course, with Sony. The X-Men with Fox, which is going to be the last story we'll be discussing I think if, if Sony's looking to recoup some money, Marvel should jump on that and bring Spider-Man back in-house. You can do a lot more with Spider-Man in-house than, you know, being concerned with how Sony wants to do it. Now, I will say this. If you've already created this amazing Spider-Man with, with Andrew Garfield and all this stuff and Marvel brings it back in-house, just continue it from there. Don't reboot it. Don't do any of this other shit. Just keep the momentum going and continue that universe, but slowly start integrating it into the existing Marvel universe. I just think it would work better that way. Resident Evil, I'm sure another company will pick it up. Who knows? Maybe New Line or one of these other companies will pick it up and do something with Resident Evil. But again, if Sony needs to make back this money and try to build up their electronics business, Spider-Man could find a home with Marvel. That's a no-brainer. But... Like I said, Amy Pascal denied, denied, denied. We'll see what happens in the coming months. If it changes, you know Marvel will gladly announce that they have Spider-Man back in-house. And as soon as we hear something, of course, we will share it with you guys. The other bit of news is some casting news for X-Men Days of the Future Past, which if you're a fan of American Horror Story, you may be familiar with this next name. Brian Singer revealed on Twitter that Evan Peters, who worked on American Horror Story, will be playing Quicksilver, a.k.a. Pietro Maximoff, in the new Days of the Future Past. So, Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch, of course, have been confirmed to appear in the next Avengers film, but both Marvel and and Fox have rights to to these characters. In the Marvel Universe, what they're going to do is they're not going to reference that they're mutants or that Magneto is their father. In the X-Men films, they're not going to reference that Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver are part of the Avengers. It's kind of just going to be a don't ask, don't tell kind of a shtick, which is fine, but I, it's, it's going to be weird. I, I'm curious to see if they're going to allow those actors 
to play those roles in the other films and just not acknowledge them as being members of the X-Men or being mutants. It's going to be very interesting to see, like I said, um, Evan Peters did great work on American Horror Story. He's actually coming back for the next season, which is American Horror Story Coven. And I think he'll be, he'll do well as Quicksilver. I mean, Brian Singer said before he was an Avenger, he was just a really fast kid. Thrilled to say Evan Peters is joining X-Men Days of the Future Past as Quicksilver. It, like I said, I don't have a problem with the casting. It's just very weird how, like I said, this whole um, film rights between these two companies is causing so many underlying problems. Same thing with Sony and Marvel. So we'll see what happens. Days of the Future Past will be in theaters July 18th, 2014. Of course, Evan Peters joins Ian McKellen, Hugh Jackman, Patrick Stewart, James McAvoy, Jennifer Lawrence, who, of course, you've seen pictures of her reprising her role as Mystique, Michael Fassbender, Anna Paquin, Ellen Page, Sean Ashmore, Peter Dinklage, Omar Sy, Halle Berry, Daniel Cudmore, uh, Fan Bingbing, and Boo Boo Stewart. Like I said, in theaters, July 18th, 2014. All right, guys, that's going to wrap up this week's episode of MTR. And uh, that's it. We actually went a little over 20 minutes this week. Uh, for those of you that are still listening to the, um, you know, still listening to the show on the Mixler side of things, you can always tune in to any overruns on the Mixler feed. Uh, Blog Talk Radio's feed will have to be updated once the show is over to include this bonus content. As always, you can always get any episodes of MTR via iTunes and all the other podcatchers, and I'll share that. In closing, anyway, you've just heard my take radio episode 185 for Thursday, May 23rd, 2013. Um, if you have any questions, concerns, or would like to be a guest on a future episode of MTR, you can email me at mtrhost at mytakeradio.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at mytakeradio, become a fan on Facebook, add us to your circle on Google, subscribe to our YouTube channel, My Take Radio TV. Or also look for us on Daily Motion as My Take Radio TV. And of course, if you're a fan of game streams, you can watch our gaming streams on twitch.tv forward slash My Take Radio underscore TV. Anyway, on behalf of myself, Slick, Quark, Blade, Jay Santi, and Ben and the rest of the MTR staff, thank you guys for tuning in, taking us out this week will be our friends from the Maniac Agenda who just hit 40,000 Facebook likes on Facebook. Congratulations to those guys. If you're not following them, stop by the Maniac Agenda's Facebook fan page. Let them know that we sent you and uh, congratulate them. 40,000 likes. They got a preview track of their album Through Fire and Blood coming this summer on their page. But this week, taking us out will be the awakening courtesy of the Maniac Agenda. I'm out of here. Peace. That's all, folks. I'm rich, bitch. <laughs>